we have good evidence that many cultures have come and gone through different eras, and sadly, the evidence we have suggests that each successive wave of human beings that when extinct made many, if not most, of the same mistakes their predecessors did. So hopefully, we, the human family, are ready to be more creative and not just live out another Groundhog Day experience as a means of an early reunion with Great Spirit. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. The title of Paul's solo cast today is 2022 Lover's Boot Camp. Initially, Paul did not plan on doing an episode to share his predictions and advice for navigating 2022, but he received so many requests for such an episode that he devoted the time to gather predictions from two of his most trusted colleagues and has created this in-depth exploration of what we can expect for 2022. What started out as a regular podcast script grew and grew and was rewritten many times as Paul tried to encapsulate what he had to share within about two and a half hours. But this message comes to you from his heart and could not be contained. Therefore, what began as a podcast turned into a course of essential education because, as you will see, 2022 will be such a pivotal year. How we manage ourselves personally and collectively is very likely to determine not only our future, but the future of our children and the planet itself. As Paul explains, 2022 expresses the archetype of the lovers, and as lovely as that sounds, love is both the simplest and the most complex means of relationships in our lives. As we move into this new year, we all need to be aware of the important issues that present themselves and understand how to practice if we are to effectively turn the challenges of our day into opportunities for health, freedom, equality, justice and harmony with each other and nature before we cross a very dangerous tipping point. And we are dangerously close to that tipping point, as Paul and best-selling author Jamie Wheel recently discussed in episode 167 of Living 4D with Paul Check. In this 2022 Lovers Bootcamp training program, Paul will talk about numerology, how to understand and relate to the subjective qualitative aspects of numbers, and why that is important. Drawing on the wisdom of Dr. Ibrahim Karim, founder of Biogeometry, this information will lay the foundation for what Paul shares as predictions for 2022 based on numerology. Paul will take you through an exploration of archetypes and how they relate to Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey cycle. Paul uses the Hero's Journey as a basis to explain tarot and as a Hero's Journey system of archetypes. He addresses the false impression of tarot held by many dogmatic Christians who have been brainwashed into thinking that the tarot system of archetypes is evil. You'll learn about the unconscious mind the difference between the subconscious and unconscious mind, how the unconscious mind processes information and how it works with the subconscious and conscious mind. This is something very few people understand today and when used with intent can change your life and rapidly accelerate your own conscious spiritual evolution. Paul will review the tarot archetypes for 2020 and 2021 and explain how the unfinished business of healing and cultivating awareness from the previous two years impacts our experiences in 2022. He'll offer some resources to support healing and help you use your mind as a tool to create freedom in your life instead of letting your programmed mind use you. He'll take you on an exploration of the tarot number six, the lover's archetype, and the significance of number six, which is the master number for 2022. 
Paul shares his definitions of what love is and his four-stage love model, which can be used as a basis for explaining how to engage challenges in 2022 in such a way that we can evolve in consciousness as human beings, avoid unnecessary violence, and work together to create a sustainable future for humanity and the planet. He'll talk about the predictions for 2022 offered by Ernst Wilhelm, Paul's favorite Vedic astrologer, and James Tunney's predictions based on his research and intuition into Scientocracy, technocracy, transhumanism, and what the big tech corporations intend on implementing more of in 2022. The big tech invasion is sure to change many aspects of human life in 2022 and beyond, so they'll want to learn more about what is coming, and there is no better person than James Tunney to enlighten us and share what tomorrow and the near future hold in store for us all. Paul will make important suggestions for staying safe in the turbulent environment we are likely to experience in 2022 and give resources and tips for living and loving fully along the way. Paul recommends you get out your notebook, open your mind and pay close attention as he guides you through his lover's boot camp so you can live and love fully in 2022 and make your individual contributions to creating a sustainable world we and the children of the world can enjoy as we navigate this global transition. Hello, welcome to 2022 Lover's Boot Camp, a solo podcast where I share forecasts insights, and tips. Though this is a podcast, I felt compelled to create what is as much a course as it is a podcast. In this solo podcast, I will review what I've shared in past episodes exploring the years 2020 and 2021, and will continue that method of exploration into this new year, 2022. Having looked back at what I shared for 2020 and 2021 in preparation for this podcast, I was able to see that what I predicted based on numerology and the tarot archetypes was surprisingly accurate. I've used these practices in my life and studied them deeply for many years because they've provided deep and often profound insights in my life. As you are probably well aware, many people with left brain or materialistic orientation have no respect for numerology, often for the same reasons they have no respect for astrology. But any half-brain perspective only reflects one's own program biases and lack of holism within themselves. 99% of the people I've met in my many years traveling the world and teaching that came to me expressing negative responses when I spoke of such things, when I questioned them to ask if they'd ever studied the theory or engaged the practices to test their validity, said no, saying, I have no interest in such silly things which on closer analysis is no different than Fauci's approach to such silly things as sunshine, vitamin D, zinc, family and social connection, the importance of family and social connection to our health, and any natural well-tried tested cures that have been used for millennia. So just to set the record straight on issues of numerology, astrology, tarot, and related practices, or more right-brain modes of gathering information, or even soul connection, I never fixate or rely on only one source of information in my life. I look at things rationally and logically, look into what the best scientists and experts have to say on any given issue, review my personal knowledge from engaging any given issue in my life, and then put the information gained from intuitive, soul, numerological, astrological, tarot, 
or other such sources on the table so that I can see the right brain information in parallel with the left brain information or more logical information. Then I look for confluences and patterns of information and assess the overall picture and see what that picture is. And then I use a combination of logic, intuition, and soul guidance to make decisions. This is a holistic approach to problem solving or using information in ways that maximize one's chance of getting a well-rounded viewpoint and making optimal decisions. In times like we are in, this is a very good idea for failing to do your part to gather all possible information sources from both sides of your brain, so to speak, could get you badly injured or even killed, as many have found out the hard way. Tarot has been useful in the lives of my patients, clients, and students I've taught it to, and also as a means of gaining soul guidance via the archetypes, which represent a language we can use for soul guidance as we grow deeper into our own relationship with our soul. Eventually, we, with practice, we can speak through a variety of means with our soul, such as the inner voice, inner imagery, inner imagery with sound, intuitive knowing, or a felt sense of communication via one's body, or just an innate sense of knowing. I will share information on why it is that so many people of Christian orientation have such a negative association with tarot later in the podcast, but you can rest assured I've investigated tarot very deeply, studied the works of the best authors and teachers in the world on this subject as part of my own training, and there is a reason I use and teach tarot almost daily. Additionally, when you start researching tarot and see just what people throughout history have used and are currently using tarot to gain information or to grow spiritually, there are some very impressive people in the mix. Today, in our exploration of my insights on what 2022 is likely to bring us and gifts and challenges to help us grow together and help us heal the planet, I will be drawing on insights from several of the most educated, evolved, wise people I know, including Ibrahim Karim, founder of Biogeometry, Ernst Wilhelm, an excellent Vedic astrologer, and James Tunney, a true mystic and wise man that I've featured on the podcast twice before. I will warn you in advance, there is no sugarcoating going on in their predictions or mine for 2022. So if you're interested in an adult perspective, and what is realistically likely based on the different sources I share, then this podcast will be very useful and informative to you. I hope you will enjoy the exploration with me, and my aim is to share tips and perspectives that will help you make better decisions in your life, stay centered, and tune your heart-mind to the frequency of freedom, love, and harmony for all human beings and living beings in nature, including Mother Earth herself. On top of that, I'll be sharing a lot of other information that anyone can benefit from having a deeper understanding of. Challenge always opens the door to opportunity. The kinds of challenges we are facing on a number of levels have been faced by human beings many times in the past. We have good evidence that many cultures have come and gone through different eras, and sadly, the evidence we have suggests that each successive wave of human beings that when extinct made many, if not most, of the same mistakes their predecessors did. So hopefully, we, the human family, are ready to be more creative and not just live out another Groundhog Day experience 
as a means of an early reunion with great spirit. There is evidence that civilizations long ago wielded great power, though most academic institutions would have you believing that people of ancient civilizations were quite paleolithic and not very smart in comparison to the people of the world today. One need only study Greg Braden's excellent Gaia TV series titled Missing Links to have all aspects of such academic silliness objectively challenged to the very core. The same is true of the excellent Gaia TV series titled Ancient Civilization, not to mention hundreds if not thousands of excellent books written by more open-minded and highly skilled investigators such as Graham Hancock, Freddie Silva, and many others. Before I forget to mention it, one of the most profound books in my library, which I purchased at the suggestion of my buddy Ben Stewart, a two-time guest on Living 4D with Paul Check an excellent documentary producer, musician, investigative researcher, and host of the excellent podcast titled Waking Infinity News, is DNA, Pirates of the Sacred Spiral by Len Horowitz, H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z. This is a downright fascinating investigation into the history of of DNA and how those interested in eugenics have been researching and creating new ways to manipulate it and all life including human beings and everything alive on this planet. And it does a very good job of showing with crystal clarity how the stage has been set and how many rehearsals of death by medicine, food, water, and false information have already been run by the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, Carnegie Organization, the British Royal Family, and other super-rich elite families, and is very well documented. If you search the title of that book, on YouTube, you will find a 3.5-hour video of Dr. Horowitz giving you a synthesis of the book. There's two lectures in that one um, presentation, so just be aware it looks like it's coming to an end about halfway through the three-and-a-half-hour presentation, but the second one is very potent as well, and it's very eye-opening indeed. He also shows many amazing uses of sound and other holistic healing technologies that have tremendous healing power and have largely been repressed by those that want you sick, dull, tired, and easily controlled. So I highly suggest you watch this video and get ready to have your mind blown repeatedly. With this introduction to our podcast today, I will now explore the subjective aspects of number and why that is important. This will lay the foundation for what I will share as predictions for 2022 based on numerology. I will now also explore the concept of archetypes and how that relates to tarot and how tarot relates to Joseph Campbell's hero's journey cycle of archetypes. We will learn what the unconscious mind is and how the unconscious processes information, review what I predicted in past podcasts for 2020 and 21, and look into what numerology and tarot suggest is embedded within the consciousness of the collective when 2022 is illuminated by Kronos, or Father Time, in the consciousness flowing through the spotlight of the eternal now for the remainder of the year. What I'm saying there is that we're dealing with a number as a date which carries objective and subjective information, but Because we're living in the flow of time, which moves toward the future, we can only look at it through the lens of Kronos, which is time, and paradoxically, 
no matter where we're at in the flow of time, our conscious awareness is always in the eternal now. The now is always the now. And when you look into the past or the future, you have to move your consciousness from awareness in the now to what you're looking at. We will then look at predictions from Ernst Wilhelm's Vedic astrology reading and James Tunney's prediction based on his research and intuition into Scientocracy, transhumanism, and what the big tech corporations intend on birthing more of in 2022. And I will also share tips along the way, but I have more of them toward the end for living and loving fully along the way. And I share some important tips for being prepared for what is not at all beyond the uh, the ken, shall we say, the, the likelihood of the people behind the Great research, Reset to throw our way. So let's get started. The subjective or qualitative aspects of number. We all know what numbers are, though few today are aware of the subjective aspects, qualitative or feeling nature of numbers, which is as important as the objective aspects of number. For example, to value yang objectively at the expense of yin, subjectivity, would be like only paying attention to the males of the world and ignoring the females. How do you think that would work out for anyone? Well, just turn on your TV and watch the news and you'll see exactly what that looks like. Though the subjective aspects of number are an ancient science that is called numerology today, the awareness of the deficit created in physics because of only focusing on the objective aspect of number has led to the creation of a new physics. Ibrahim Karim, an architect, scientist, and founder of biogeometry, informs me that this new type of physics that deals with the effect of objects or actions on the human subtle energy system is what is now emerging. The objective aspects of number are processed through our left brain system, which is masculine in orientation. It is no surprise that as we transition from a matriarchal system of leadership to a patriarchal system, we begin to lose much of our touch with the feminine, subjective, or feeling nature of number. The subjective or feminine aspects of number are processed by our right brain system. Ibrahim Karim, in personal communication with me on these issues, states, The left brain dominance has produced all the benefits of a very efficient world of modern technology, that has suppressed the unifying wisdom of the ethical values of the right brain subconscious mode. Dr. Kareem also states the forces of life preservation connected to the laws of nature that work on a subconscious level associate with the feminine or the right brain orientation. The human figures people created in prehistoric times represent the mother goddess, The people who created the great ancient civilizations gave values to the male and female deities with equality. The great shift in focus of perception in the brain that produced modern humans anchored in place the patriarchal form of the creator, and we see this today in modern religions. This has led to the erosion of right-brain ethical values around spirituality, and it has increased the control of materialism. As a result, Many people today seek to revive the matriarchal concept of deity. 
we have reached a level of materialism that has no ethical boundaries, and this will produce a backlash of emergence in what Jung refers to as an emerging contemporary humanity. The personification of the universal mind will then move away from the patriarchal concept into the new spiritual holistic form that manifests within both genders. This is a gradual process that will not manifest in humanity at once. So we've gotten some very wise words from Ibrahim Karim, someone who I have deep, deep respect for, love for, and appreciation of, who has been a great uh, support to me in my own work and my own knowledge base, development of my knowledge base. And if you haven't listened to my podcast with Ibrahim Karim on biogeometry, there are two. The first one is with him and Doria. The second one is with Doria, his daughter, who is also a genius. And they are some of my most well-listened-to podcasts, even though they're quite deep and profound. Now, a couple of concepts to keep in mind as we progress with the podcast and our exploration of what we can expect in 2022 are the feminine in terms of medicine is all forms of holistic medicine and healing approaches. The feminine is equated to nurture, the worship of love and protection of nature, and of course, children. In the gender theory of number, two is feminine, and there are three twos in 2022, which suggests a strong emergence of feminine energy feelings and a strong awareness of values and the need for holism in medicine and all aspects of our lives, protection of our children, or we may not survive the circumstances we have created with a heavy orientation toward the objective masculine relationship with number, nature, governance, and life. This will become clear as we go deeper into the issues at hand for 2022. I will also demonstrate that because there are three twos in 2022, we have a lingering issue of patriarchal governance, which I will get deeper into as we go. When we look at the date, any date, we typically associate that date as a continuum in time. 2022 followed by 20, excuse me, 2020 followed by 2021 by 2022, and so on. But when at the end of the year, people start publishing videos showing the key events or highlights of that year, we're likely to be less connected to the specific date an event occurred and more connected to how we feel about what happened. We may see the president we chose winning or losing an election and have a flood of emotions related to our value judgment of the outcome. We may remember the experience of a specific rock band getting together and playing the music that taps into our memory of experiences we had while listening to specific songs that they play. We may have a feeling of deep sadness witnessing scenes from a war that took place that year. We may be flooded with the emotion of a divorce we went through, or we may feel it was a great year because our new child was born, or we may go from the feeling of sadness in one instance to joy in another. These are all expressions of the emotional, subjective, feeling components embedded within number, the events of any given year. In her deep, comprehensive book titled Number and Time, Marie-Louise von Franz gives a couple of great examples to help us be more conscious of the subjective feeling aspect of number. One is the latter, and the other is a pie. Now, I've taken her examples and 
sort of customize them so they're easier to share. So the first example is a ladder. Think of a ladder with a given number of steps. From an objective point of view, you can say, I have one ladder with 12 steps that is 14 feet tall or something like that. Most people wouldn't get emotional by the conclusion that they have one ladder with 12 steps that is 14 feet tall. But if you decide to paint your kid's bedroom and you want to put a scene with toys, a dog, a doghouse at ground level, and then paint some trees that reach up into the sky with some birds and cover the ceiling with a night sky scene with stars on the left and maybe a day scene on the right with sun, some clouds, and an airplane flying by on the right side of the ceiling, each time you have to take a step up to paint something you couldn't previously reach, you will have a different experience within yourself. When the mural is done, you may have used 12 of the 14 steps, realizing that each step on the ladder offered an opportunity to express something you could not have expressed without an additional step. Now, instead of a ladder, imagine a tree. You are lost while out hiking and are miles from anywhere. At least you think you are. You look in all directions, seeing nothing but trees. As you climb branches, a natural ladder, you start to see that there is a trail nearby. This excites you because you know trails usually lead to and from common destinations where people are. You keep climbing and finally 25 branches are about 40 feet up in the air. You're amazed to see that just a half a mile down the mountain is a parking lot, picnic tables, public bathroom, and a park ranger station that you started at. Now you know the way to get home. So you see, it's not the number of branches you climbed specifically that provides the meaningful experience. It's the experience of what the alchemists call sublimation, getting higher and having a bigger view that provides the emotional charge. The point being here is the number of branches is secondary to the awareness and the experience that you gained as you climbed. Now, if you were doing some kind of a scientific experiment to say, how many branches did I have to climb to get an awareness of where I was at, then you would say, I climbed 25 branches to get 40 feet in the air. And then the subjective experience would be what you gained at each different level as you climbed the tree. Let's look now at the experience of a pie. If you're at a party and after dinner, everyone's raging about how Sally's pie is so amazing, you may be curious and go have a look. You see this beautiful pie has six pieces left and think, I'll come back when I have room for dessert. But you come back to get a piece and there's only one piece left and you take it. You're very glad you got there before someone else ate it. But you're not worried at all when you first came and there were six pieces of pie left. So you see, when you came back, or when you came the first time and you saw there was six pieces of pie left, usually there's eight pieces, you thought, I have plenty of time. So there's the subjective experience. But when you finally came back to get your pieces of, uh, piece of pie, there was only one left and you had an experience of, oh, wow, I'm glad I made it back. So there's another subjective experience that's different from six pieces being there. Six pieces, I got time. One, ah, I'm glad I ate. I can eat this one. From another perspective, if you were asked to join a pie-eating contest and you asked how many pieces of pie the previous winner ate and the answer was 24, and you realize that's three whole pies, just the thought of eating 24 pieces of pie 
no matter how good it is, may, may make you feel sick. If the previous winner had only eaten three pieces of pie, you may get very excited thinking, wow, I can not only win this pie-eating contest, but I can also justify eating half of this beautiful pie. Hallelujah, let's get it on. So there you again see a subjective experience in relationship to number. One, a big number of pieces of pie has a negative effect. Someone who tells you that the last contest was won by someone who only ate three has a completely different experience. Other ways to explore the subjective nature of numbers is to ask yourself, how many children would ideal be ideal for my husband and I to have? It may be three. But if someone says that they want 12 kids and you're imagining yourself as the parent of 12 kids, just the thought of it may leave you feeling exhausted. If someone asks you how many sexual partners you'd like, suggesting that you could have as many as you'd like at this special party, choosing one partner will produce an inner response that may or may not be fulfilling. Choosing two may be more exciting. Choosing a dozen partners may produce an experience that is approaching schizophrenic and you'd hardly be able to remember who gave you an orgasm and whose teeth marks are still on your backside the next day. So numbers are about relationships and relationships produce feelings and emotions which are strongly connected to our stated or unstated values. What I have found through the years of encouraging patients, clients, and students that are overly objective in their orientation to numbers is that they are generally overly objective at the expense of their feeling nature and often wait until they realize that they have made suboptimal choices to experience the flood of emotions that comes with some kind of a crisis. With training, they may learn to pay attention to their feelings, which are heavily linked to their instincts and values, as they are with all people. As a result, they are much more capable of accessing the consciousness offered not only by their intellect, but by their soul, which is essentially the sum total of consciousness within any living being, which means it requires both a right and left brain orientation taken in wholeness. One who is overly rational at the expense of the unrational tends to repress their feeling nature and they're often afraid to lose control of what they have convinced themselves that they can control rationally, but don't realize that they have now stuffed those feelings and intelligence into the basement of themselves. The wise will tell you that feelings buried alive never die, and those that are even wiser inform you that the feelings buried alive become the puppet masters pulling your strings until your rational self has a collision with itself, and you can only heal and find balance by honoring and engaging the unrational aspects of yourself or themselves. I'll share more on this later when I explain the nature of the unconscious and how it processes information. If you are Mr. or Mrs. Rational, you'll want to listen to this bit of rational advice I share. If not, the pain teacher will surely come to introduce you to your unconscious mind. Just be careful the pain teacher isn't holding a syringe in his or her hand. So with that sort of explanation of the feeling, subjective aspects, the qualitative aspects of number, let's look at the subjective aspects through the consciousness of numerology at the year 2022 that we're in now. 
The number two is feminine and represents relationship. There can be a no awareness or growth as one and one alone. Who would let you know when you are heading in the wrong direction? Who would call you out if you told a lie? Who will inspire you when you are doing things that may be helpful? How can you possibly know yourself as one? Two equals relationship, and there is something deeper hidden in the number two, which is duality. And without duality, you can have no mind. One alone in relationship to zero is the subject because as one there is no other, therefore no object of awareness. Now that's a fairly deep statement. It'll make more sense as we go if I've already lost you. Zero representing source, that which can't be known. If any of you listen to my podcast with Walt Thornhill, the chief scientist of the Electric Universe Project, one of the key questions I asked him is, well, you're talking about these massive amounts of current flow through the universe, but you have not said anything about where they're coming from. Where is the potential source? How much potential energy is there? He said, nobody knows. So without a long explanation, zero represents source. In my lexicon, zero equals God in all caps. Not a God that can be known as an old man in the sky or anything like that, but pure potential. Everything in created that's created had to have come from some potential source. So again, one in relationship to zero is the subject because as one, there is no other, therefore no object of awareness. As an example of what I'm trying to convey here, anyone that has entered a non-dual state of consciousness where there is no longer an I-thou or an I-it relationship, which requires the duality of mind, will tell you that there is no thing there, just pure awareness. This is the all-seeing I. But when experiencing a non-dual state of consciousness, there's nothing to think about, know, or do. The capstone on the pyramid, as shown on the $1 bill in the United States, hovers above the pyramid. The pyramid below the capstone represents life or that which is uh, that which the all-seeing eye is aware of. So there you see a duality in relationship. If you only had a capstone and nothing else on the page, then the eye would have nothing to relate to. But because there's a pyramid below the capstone, that hovers above it. You have a subject, the eye witnessing, and an object, the rest of the pyramid, which produces a duality, which is a relationship. When we add another one to get two, we now have a subject with an object within its awareness. This is the nature of the first relationship emergent from zero or source. Now, what I mean by that is that if source is pure consciousness, in Tantra, that would be called Shakti. When she looks into herself, she produces Shiva, which in the Hindu concept would be the con sort of a correlation to uh, the Christian idea of God. But pure consciousness as source has to have something to look at without which there is no relationship or no capacity to process any given experience. So 
what I'm saying is, once we have two, the witness, the capstone, and then the object, the pyramid or Shiva, which would be the consort of Shakti, we have a relationship. When source looks into itself, paradoxically, the very act of looking creates. This is well borne out in quantum physics in the double slit experiment, when physicists had to come face to face with the reality that whatever they wanted to see, or the idea they had in their mind regarding light as a particle or a wave, resulted in them finding exactly what they were looking for. They realized that in some up till now unknown but mysterious way, consciousness influences energy and matter. This finding triggered a massive and still ongoing debate within science as to whether or not consciousness, particularly the consciousness of the scientist or the researcher, must be considered as an influence on the outcome of any scientific research. Paul Levy goes into this beautifully in his excellent book titled The Quantum Revelation, A Radical Synthesis of Science and Spirituality. I also have a very good podcast with Paul Levy if you'd like to hear from him directly. He and his book are quite amazing. Two represents the necessary duality without which we cannot become conscious of anything. There is no female without male. There is no inside without the concept of outside. No north without the concept of south. No such thing as electricity without magnetism. No wet without dry. And on it goes. Whenever you have multiple twos in any number, such as the year, it adds emphasis and power to that form of potential. Two twos equal two minds, and two minds are more powerful than one. But keep in mind that any two of any number also suggests a duality or the great possibility of tension between them. So a tip for 2022 with a lot of twos dancing is that it implies the opportunity for harmony of values or conflict over values. So there's something to meditate on. You have two zero mind in relationship to source, and you have two twos, which can either be a partnership or a duel. 2022 gives us the additional gift of more processing power, but it is also a multiplication of the nature of duality. One of our first big questions with a number like 2022 should be, will this be a year of putting our heads together to create viable solutions for all? Harmony? Or will we experience a raging battle of minds all holding different perspectives on what the solutions to the problems of the world are. Only time will tell. Keep this in mind as it relates to your own relationship with yourself because there are three key levels to the human being, which are body, mind, and spirit. And when these three levels are in harmony, they facilitate resonance into harmony among others wherever you go. If they are in disharmony, you will attract yourself to yourself everywhere you go, and the world will mirror you back to you. So your first key message for 2022-2022 is not to wait for anyone to fix the world 
for you and make it all better, but to create harmony within yourself and you can rest assured that you have already made a contribution to the whole. When we have two twos with a zero between them, it suggests duality and relationship, and we each have an inner self or soul self and an outer self or an ego or persona self. This reality extends itself to any larger entity from I, my inner relationship with myself, and my outer relationship with myself, to we, so any group of people has an inner relationship within the group and how that group expresses itself to others, and then the collective. We as a collective have an inner relationship as a human family, but we also have a way we express ourselves to each other in the world. So from I to my partner and I, which is a we, to family, to community, to state, to nation, to culture and the world, each successively larger functional unit being made up of the individual units within itself and therefore an expression of the combined state of the units within it. A lot of people in harmony makes for a great dance show or a movement. A lot of people in disharmony makes for a shit show and a struggle, a battle, or a war. What's the key point? Well, if it's not obvious, if people in a group are first creating harmony within themselves, then you bring more units of harmony together. But if we have a lot of people in a state of chaos, confusion, a lot of judgment, a lot of fear, a lot of biased opinions, and they get together, well, then you just multiply that. And that's how you get yourself a shit show, a struggle, a battle, or a war. So once again, what happens in 2022 is very dependent upon how we each manage ourselves individually. And the more effective we are at harmonizing ourselves or harmonizing ourselves with our dream and to the degree that that dream is a positive for the collective, then we are dreaming together, which is very powerful. Next, we have to remember that two plus two is four. Four is a symbol of the earth plane is, and is symbolized by the square geometrically, which represents body, containment, or home. On earth, body, and home, which is nature, are composed of four elements, which are earth, water, fire, and air. Two of these elements are feminine or passive if you study alchemy, which are earth and water, and two are active or what are called volatile elements in alchemy or masculine elements, which are air and fire because air and fire can move earth and water, but water and earth cannot move themselves. So air and fire are necessary to move these passive elements to create life force and life itself. So the point being is you, you whenever you have two twos together, you can look at that individual unit. So when you have two zero two two, you have two mind drawing potential, looking at two twos together, which is four. So it says 
through the subjective assessment of number that mind has a choice to use its potential to decide how it's going to handle the relationship between earth, water, feminine, fire, and air, masculine, which produces home or place. In 2022, we have a zero between the first two twos that represent pure potential or unconditional love, which never says no. Unconditional love is a perpetual yes. It is total freedom, a willingness to see, feel, and experience virtually anything. That is something we should all meditate on. Many people have programmed beliefs about God and haven't spent enough time getting deep enough into themselves to find God, so they have really not a relationship with God, but they have a relationship with ideas brainwashed into them, usually as children. This is exactly why Rumi says, to get to God, you must become a heretic. You must throw away the book, stop reading what other people write, and have your own experience. And there's lots of ways to do that, many, many ways, from sex to meditation to art to dance to giving birth to a child or uh, watching your child come through the birth canal or holding your child to working in your garden to beautiful scenery to uh, plant medicines to chanting, toning, starvation, Uh, ascetic practices, (laughs) torturing yourself with cold, like Wim Hof, or he he may not call it torture, but I'm being facetious, Uh, seeing how long you can stay in a sauna and having God experiences as you get heat exhaustion. So there's, there's a lot of ways. If you study the history of what people do to find God, it's pretty phenomenal. And once you truly get there on your own, You're likely to not find some big daddy in the sky judging you. You're likely to find something unexplainable, but the epitome of love. As you will learn as we progress in our explanation of the forecast I'm sharing for 2022, we have some serious issues at this time in our life with regard to the balance of the four elements that make life possible. This tries directly to the excess of patriarchal left-brain excess in most cultures in the world, and definitely among the ruling elite, which express such behaviors in the choice they make in relationship to each of us and the world. You don't need to be a genius alchemist to determine that if you mix too much masculine air and fire with your feminine earth and water, you will dry it out, crack it, and when the water is displaced, Fire in the home or homeland is a very real likelihood. And I don't know if you've been following the real news, but have you noticed that there's been a massive increase in forest fires worldwide? I grew up on Vancouver Island, which typically gets about 161 or more inches of rain a year, where it's almost impossible for a forest fire to last very long. But in the last year or two, they've had serious, serious Southern California-like problems with forest fire because the place is drying out. We are going through radical changes, many of which have tracked right back to 
our abuse of fossil fuels and corporate interest in keeping us on fossil fuels and large factories and many other things, uh, including commercial farming, which is one of the greatest greenhouse gas producers there are out there. Are you not aware of the water shortages in many places in the world right now? Are you not aware that at every level the word home applies to, things are cracking up. Families are experiencing significantly higher levels of violence, addictive patterns as coping mechanisms, and suicide is at an all-time high. This is exactly what happens when you put too much masculine energy into any living vessel. So for 2022, I'd like to share a practical tip. Look at each of the four elements and ask, where am I experiencing excess or deficiency within the context of what they represent? And I'm speaking of your own life or even your own body. Imagine the four elements as the cardinal points on a compass with fire in the north position, water in the south position, air in the east position, and earth in the west position. Whatever element is deficient, the most likely balancing response is to bring more of the element opposite on the compass. Too much fire in the north begs for more water from the south. Too much earth in the west begs for more air in the east to inspire change. Then look at the control function at 90 degrees. So, in other words, 90 degrees to fire, you have air on the left and earth on the right. Too much earth cannot only be helped by more air, better decisions from mind, for example, which relates to air, but you can go to the water element at 90 degree angles, at a 90 degree angle, and wash it away or clean up the mess. Try thinking in metaphor, not just logically, and you'll gain more from the exercise. So the exercise is this. I'm going to state the element and the qualities associated with that element And ask yourself as I say these words, how am I doing in relationship to the element and the qualities connected to it? The earth element, how are things at home? How are you doing with containing yourself physically, emotionally, and mentally? How is your physical body? How is your sense of place in the world? Earth represents the womb, as does home. What are you giving birth to? A lot of stress and fear and chaos? Or are you seeing possibilities for this world transition and excited to participate? Earth relates to family. How are things in the family? Earth represents containment. So how are things at the office or within what you would call your place of work. Earth relates to money and tangible goods. How are you doing it with generating and managing money and tangible goods? Water represents containment. Excuse me, water represents connection. So how are your, your, how is your sense of connection with yourself, with others, and with nature? Water represents communication. Water is the great connector which allows communication in the body. No water in the body, nothing can communicate. 
So the water element allows everything in nature to talk to everything else. It is the most amazing liquid crystal superconductor in nature. So how is your sense of communication? Water is linked to our feelings and emotions. Feelings orients toward values, not not just so you can distinguish feelings from emotions. If I said to you, how do you feel about that person moving in next door to you and building a house so high you can no longer see the ocean, then you might have a feeling of resent, but I will say to you, well, what is it as a value that you feel is being trespassed upon? Well, they're infringing upon my space. So there's a sense of a value trespass. So that's what feelings really are. So how is your sense of feelings around your values about what's going on in your life and the world? How is your sense of emotional stability or emotional dynamism? Emotional dynamism is very important because emotions give us real important information. There's no such thing as a bad emotion. They all convey information about the experience we're having. Are your emotions reliable? Are they stable? Are you having emotional upheaval because your diet is out of balance or because you're uh, drinking too much coffee or addicted to drugs? So those would be indications of imbalance in the water element. How are the rhythms and your sense of flow in your life? Are you able to manage your day-night cycles and get adequate sleep? Are you able to flow through the day or do you seem to be constantly inhibited or anxious or insecure or blocked? How is your level of moisture or hydration in your body? Water also connects to soul. If there was no water, you could have no electromagnetic energy and therefore mind would not be able to connect into your body through your chakra system and your hormones are all electromagnetically charged molecules that convert thoughts and feelings into actual felt senses. So our soul connection is linked to the water element. Now, Everything that I'm saying here, if you just rewind the podcast and go back to the beginning of this exercise and say, okay, instead of me, I'm going to look at the people of the United States or the world as as a living being, I think some patterns will start to emerge for you. Now, in the air element, we have mind. How is your sense of mental self-management? We have ego. We have breathing. How is your breathing? Most people, unfortunately, don't know the difference from good bad, good to bad breathing or poor breathing or ineffective breathing, but many people are likely to be hyperventilating due to excess stress. Mind relates to thoughts. Air, air, the air element handles thought. So are you dealing with a lot of stinking thinking or are you converting your negative thoughts into positive possibilities because you have the power to make that conversion? How are you doing with the generation of new and useful ideas? How are you doing with making effective decisions? Air represents spring in the seasonal cycle and therefore beginnings. 
Are you able to begin projects effectively, plan them effectively? Air and beginnings relates to the seed, which is the beginning of something that lives. How are you doing with your creativity? How are you doing with your ability to rise and meet the winds of change, which are blowing very strongly right now? Are you incapacitated, scared to death, or are you seeing possibilities emerging? Remember, you it's a much easier thing to do to change a system that's unstable in chaos and breaking down than it is when it's working really well. If it's stable, we don't want to fix it. I mean, most people don't let the air out of their tire just so they have something to do to blow it up. If you check your tire pressure and it's right, then you leave it alone. It's stable. There's no chaos there. But if you find that your tire's getting low and your car's not handling well, then it's unstable, so you're inspired to change the pressure in the tire, at least. Did you know that symbiotica means harmony? And you're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Sherveen Jaffaria, the founder of Symbiotica. Symbiotica is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their J minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. Their biocharge-activated coconut charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis Liposomal Glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing and more. When you go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and use your Living 4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell and you won't be disappointed. Enjoy Symbiotica. Now the fire element relates to spirit. So spirit is the flow of energy and information. It's the other half of the soul. So how is your relationship to the flow of energy and information in your body? Are you glued to phones and computer screens and constantly freaking out? It's easy to do right now. But that can overheat you and overexcite you. Fire relates to heat and warmth. Are you running hot or cold? Fire relates to light. Is your outlook one that is bright and enlightened, or is it dark, which would be more of a winter or an excess water experience? Fire is the great agent of transformation. Are you effectively able to transform challenges into opportunities in your life right now? Fire is what we use to cook. So what's cooking within you? What projects have you got going? Are you avoiding dealing with certain challenges so you have them on the back burner of the stove, so to speak? And are they going to rot back there? 
Fire is linked with desire. Fire has an, a voracious appetite. What is it that you desire and is what you're desiring and acting upon congruent with your overarching dream for yourself this year? Fire is a great consumer. So we want to look and say, am I consuming more than is optimal for my health, my vitality, or my financial resources at this time? Very important because if you overconsume and a crisis comes, you have no reserves. Fire relates to expansion that produces contraction. So um, an example of that is if you take a marshmallow and put it into a fire, you will notice that initially it expands. If you take a Swiss ball or a basketball that's been sitting in a cold garage and leave it out in the sun, it will expand. But if you leave the marshmallow in the fire long enough, it will contract and contract and ultimately turn to ash. So another example this is yang energy. If you flex your muscle, it expands, but it contracts. Fire relates to archetypes, so we'll get into that more. Fire is also a pretty reliable source of death. So considering the number of people not taking care of themselves effectively with multiple core mobilities that are then running out to get a jab that's full of dangerous toxins that can really overload the system, it might bring you to the edge of death or take you right to the death experience. Fire is also linked with transcendence, which means going beyond, rising above, growing, seeing the invisible. Um, so if we're not transcending, we're usually overly contained with too much earth. We're in a box, like being in a house with no windows. But if we're in excess transcendence, then we can become an airhead or a bliss bunny that's out of touch with reality, and that's not good either. So this exercise has given you a chance to interact with the fact that we have two twos coupled together, two zero, two two, Two and two is four, four elements. Remember I was saying when I started the exercise, two followed by zero means duality or mind. Choosing or making choices that draw on potential in relationship to four elements. So this is an exercise that is basically saying in 2022, with all the things I'm going to be sharing you might want to look carefully at the balance of elements in your life and in the world because if you don't have them balanced in yourself, you're probably not going to have the resources to be able to participate in issues of the world. And choosing not to choose is choosing. It means by being passive, if you don't like what happens, you've got no right to complain because your choice was to do nothing. So then we have the third two in 2022, two, zero, two, two, and that suggests that we have another duality or mind overseeing the choices, which I mentioned earlier. Um, that was the first two looking at the second two twos. So the two, 
zero mine looking at 224 home. But we have to say whose mind is it? Ah, that's a very good question. Is it the mind reaching into your body through your phone, your tablet, computer, or television? If that is where you're getting your health advice, then I suggest you go get naked and stand in front of a mirror and see just exactly what happens when you externalize your responsibility for your choices to a mind outside of your own. If you're using your phone, tablets, and computers as tools to support the effective use of your own mind and to aid in making effective choices, your body will mirror that back to you. But if you're being passive or like a child and just believing anything that sounds right or easy, but you're not questioning, then the mirror will show you the truth of that childlike nature or relationship with your mind and your body. Now, we have three twos, and three is a masculine number. Earlier, I said I would share that there's a masculine relationship here. Whenever you have a triangular situation, you have a classically masculine situation. So, we hear names like trilateral commission being used in the media. And if you don't know what the trilateral commission is, may I suggest you stop this podcast right now and go look it up. And while you're at it, see how many women are involved in the trilateral commission. And you might be surprised to see just how seriously masculine dominant it is. And and when you figure out who the trilateral commission is, you'll consider what I've been sharing so far and you'll go, holy shit, we got a hell of a lot of yang going on here and that's dangerous. I'll give you a hint if you're too lazy to look it up or you're driving a car. The trilateral commission is directly related to the Great Reset Agenda and has everything to do with all that is happening in the world right now. And there seems to be only two elements in the world they live in, and they're not earth, water, fire, or air. They are money and control. But it takes four elements to create life, and you can destroy it with only two called money and control. And that is what has been happening. If we put the earth in front of the mirror to see how the third two of mind is doing at managing it, what would you see? In other words, two, mind, zero, potential, two, two's four, the four elements that make up the earth. Now, instead of you standing in the mirror, if you put the earth in front of the mirror and you look at it and watch the weather patterns, the activity patterns, the growth and decay, the birth and the death, the uh, oncoming of new species versus the destruction and extinction of species, would you see the earth in harmony or disharmony? Do we have excess air, which in alchemy equates to all aspects of mind or ideas? And then ask what happens when you add more air to fire, knowing, that, as I said earlier, we have a lot of problems with wildfires all over the world because it's overheating. When you don't have adequate feminine water to allow you to feel your emotions, what you get is numb. You get numb people that keep repeating the same mistakes that got them in trouble before because they're more like robots than human beings. 
Sound at all familiar? How long has Hollywood been informing you of the zombie apocalypse or the takeover of robots? Robots taking over the world. Alien invasions with mechanical everything. Have you ever looked into who funds these very expensive movies? Might be worth taking the time to do that, since most people's brains spend more time watching movies than they do paying attention to reality. What do you call a person that follows the dictates of authority even when they are potentially deadly or even deadly wrong, but they do it anyhow? Ah, who controls a robot? The robot or the person holding the remote control? Ah, remote control. What do you think your fancy little phone is? An extension of the Trilateral Commission's remote control. If, of course, you've lost your own mind and your phone is your master, instead of being a tool you use. If you have the capacity for discernment and you use both sides of your brain, then the tool becomes useful. But unfortunately, if you look at the world, you can see that most people are being used by that tool, not using it. It has become their master. Very, very dangerous. So your next tip for 2022 is that it's very dangerous to let your phone do your thinking and choosing for you, or you become its slave, and that means you become the puppet being controlled by the puppet masters. Three twos is a trilateral arrangement, and a triangle has a two in each corner, but only one of them sits at top. Ponder that whenever you're arguing with others on the ground level as to who is right about the issues of the world right now, because until you look up at the top of the triangle you're a part of, you will not see who is dividing you with fear, propaganda, brainwashing, which is specifically designed to break down your sense of safety and security, or your self, your family unit, and to divide and conquer any culture. Pay attention to the top of the triangle. 2022 gives us three twos. That means a triangle of mind. The top of the pyramid in 2022, pay attention or you may join the all-seeing eye prematurely because there's two twos at the bottom, which is the balance of life force, energy, earth, water, fire, and air. And as I've pointed out now a number of different ways, they're dangerously out of balance. So if you're not paying attention to whether or not what's coming from the top of the metaphorical triangle or pyramid is intelligent, but you do it anyhow, well, I don't think you need to be too super smart to figure out what comes soon enough. But remember, God loves a good game. All you got to do to prove that to yourself is look at history. It's one war, one bash, one battle, one flood, disaster, earthquake, it's one thing after the other. That's what history is, is just the recordings of the comings and goings, the highs and the lows. So it's good to remember that the Buddha did tell us 
that the only universal law is impermanence, not gravity, impermanence. So if we don't learn to manage ourselves and be effective co-creators, then we become victims to our programming and our passivity. So now let's look at the meanings of the number six. Why? Because you have three twos in 2022. So in numerology, you add them up. As long as you don't get more than a single digit, then you have a master number. So two plus two plus two is six. If you got 16, you'd have to reduce it to seven, for example. Six and one is seven to get a master number. So in standard numerology theory, the key words associated with the number six are responsibility, nurture, justice, and protection. Lo and behold, we have a lot of responsibility. We need to do some serious nurturing for each other and the planet. We need to very carefully evaluate our justice system and what justice is and we need to protect each other and the planet from the people at the top of that pyramid because they worship another god, and that is the god of money and power, and they don't give a damn about the balance of four elements. In fact, if you watch what they've done to the planet, they seem to have no consciousness of anything to do with life. They think that the world is just a commodity that they can strip mine and <laughs> they're building rockets to get out of here when it's all dead. Six is often symbolized by the seal of King Solomon, which is the interpenetration of two triangles. Remember, there's three points on a triangle, one of which was downward pointing and represents the feminine or yin, the other which is upward pointing. Remember, fire rises, heat rises, so you have the upward pointing triangle. Water moves toward the center of the earth. That's why it's a downward pointing triangle. When they're in balance, you have harmony. When they're not, you have chaos. So here's also another way to look at this powerful number six. In the Czech system of holistic health, there are six foundation principles that we all have to be aware of and manage. And that is we have to manage our physical, emotional, mental and spiritual well-being, or we will suffer. And the way we do that is paying attention to the six foundation principles. So here we have a set of two threes. We have a female triangle. At one corner, we have nutrition. Another corner, we have hydration. And the other corner, we have sleep. So there's your feminine component to the seal of Solomon which is the six-pointed star, and we have three masculine, breathing, thinking, and movement. If you look at the situation of most people in the world today, they're under a lot of stress, which accelerates their resting breathing rate, pushes them into a fight-or-flight state of sympathetic nervous system dominance. That triggers the release of more and more adrenaline and the stress hormone cortisol, which winds the body up and gets it ready for battle. When you're in an excess sympathetic state of stimulation, your mind goes wild scanning the environment for threats, and it's very hard to relax or think creativity. As I often say, it's very dangerous to try something new when a lion is chasing you. 
So stick to the basics. You don't want to throw in a cartwheel. You want to run like hell for a tree and climb it as fast as you can. The big questions in 2022 will be, which lions am I imagining, which are real versus propaganda, and which lions can I tame by focusing on what is most important in my life right now, such as nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing, thinking, and movement. As I often tell people when I work with them that are dealing with high states of anxiety, fear, stress, or perceived crisis, I say, do you have breath? Do you have access to food, water, safety, shelter, and warmth? Almost always they say yes. Are there people that love you in their life, in your life? Almost always they say yes. If they say no, I say, then it's your responsibility to love yourself. But if you have breath, food, water, safety, shelter, warmth, and love in your life, then you don't really have a legitimate crisis. You may have something concerning or something that needs to be managed, but you don't have anything that's worth losing your composure over or throwing a fit over or damaging relationships over. It means you can think constructively, meditate, calm yourself, do some Tai Chi, and bring yourself into harmony so you're in a good place for creative thinking. A hint for you, if you're too lazy to do your own research and be your own fact checker, your mind is already ripe for possession by the invisible genies encoded in the lights and sounds emanating from all aspects of the media machine of mind control, which is mass mind control. If you're too lazy to look honestly at opposing viewpoints on the other side of an argument or belief, then they're already helping you dig a grave for yourself and anyone under your direct influence, such as your children. So stay alert and stay alive is the motto as we move into 2022. The movement element of this situation is that you find yourself, you can find yourself in a freeze state. So whenever we're under enough stress, we have fight, flight, or freeze. Many animals will just freeze. Interestingly enough, when an animal freezes, sometimes the predator doesn't see them. They merge into the background. Deer sometimes will freeze like that. I've seen it many times when I've kind of come across them out hiking or hunting when I was younger. So if you find yourself in a freeze state and doing little because you're afraid or, or because you've been locked down, but you don't make the best of it and manage your nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing, thinking, and movement, you're going to have elevated stress levels, which increases muscular tone. And that is there because it creates readiness. So you're like a, cow, a cat about to pounce on its prey. So more elevation in adrenaline and cortisol you get, the higher your sympathetic tone is, which is your fight or flight system. So the more alert and on edge and springy and ready to jump, run, or fight you get. But holding that state day in and day out causes loads of problems with decreased circulation, compression on joints, tension in tendons, and it's a slow, steady death process of the body breaking down from there. So you end up seeing 
a lot of neck, back, knee, and shoulder problems because those are people's typical weak links. The other reaction is to use movement or exercise as a drug to numb yourself or distract yourself from the issues you are unwilling to feel or unable to address. So if you're just avoiding it like an ostrich putting your head in the sand, chances are you're going to be using drugs or exercise or television or chocolate or or any number of things as a coping mechanism, and that leads to burnout and very often to drug addictions of a variety of types, from anti-inflammatory drugs to coffee, like I said, to stimulants, and it just gets worse from there in my experience of working with countless addicts. So a tip, working out is yang, masculine, fiery, and it must be effectively counterbalanced by working in, which is yin, My book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, helps you assess your imbalances and suggests work-in options to balance yourself on a daily basis, and they're very easy to do. Anybody can do them, but Fauci and Gates won't do them for you, I can rest assured, and they wouldn't want you to do anything that might enhance your chances of being healthy, creative, thinking for yourself, and being interested in freedom because you're not profitable to these guys that way. So if you are your own trilateral commission, meaning that you are using the third two of mind to nurture balance and manage the first two of fire and air and earth and water, then you will be capable of holistic creative problem solving and you will become useful to the world as a living example and as a harmonizing force. So what I'm trying to show you here is that the key words for the master number six that we get by adding the three twos in 2022 based on numerology is responsibility for yourself, your family, your relationships, your community, your state or province, your nation, and the world. Six relates to nurture, justice, and protection. So these are active at every level of governance, from I to we to family to tribe to city to state to nation to culture to the world. If the people controlling the top are imbalanced within themselves, they will inflict the products of their imbalanced body-mind upon you and they will inflict their pathologies upon you and their addictions become your mandates and your dictates. So if you're not taking care of yourself in a six year, you will forego your own responsibility. You will not nurture yourself. You will not seek authentic justice and you will not take care of yourself, so you will be seeking someone else's protection from a, a mind virus, which they're very, very good at generating. I could go on for hours on that alone, but I have too much to share to do that. So if a coach or the coaches directing a team of athletes live from their imbalances, they will be unconscious that they're imposing their own ignorance into their team, 
and that will show in the team's performance and longevity. And you can rest assured as a man that has worked for many professional sports teams, universities, and Olympic committees, I have seen this reality play out over and over again. It's very simple. Healthy leaders produce healthier, healthy followers. Unhealthy leaders produce stress, dysfunction, breakdown, and disease in their followers. I'll say that again. And as I say it, think of what's going on in the world right now. Unhealthy leaders produce stress, dysfunction, breakdown, and disease in their followers. So that alone would suggest that our leadership is extremely unhealthy and the state of the world is their report card. But it's also our report card because we, as a collective, have been childish, submissive, passive, and stood back as they've destroyed our home and our relationship to each other. Additionally, every parent has to come face-to-face with this reality in their own children, but the doctors seldom tell them the truth because they're not trained to look for the truth. They're just trained to look for opportunity to sell pills, injections, or procedures, and the more they sell, the more money they make. And remember, it's very hard to change a person's belief system when their paycheck depends on it. Oddly, it's actually easier to find a real doctor today because they don't wear masks or subject themselves to be guinea pigs in a poorly run research study on the public, and they are regularly being censored or kicked out of hospitals. If you'd like to listen to a real medical doctor so you can get acquainted with how one thinks and behaves, then listen to Dr. Nathan Riley. He is a medical doctor and he has a podcast titled The Holistic OBGYN. He is our family OBGYN. He's been on my podcast twice, so you can listen to his podcast, or you can hear him on mine. But there are many medical doctors like Nathan Riley. They're just getting (laughs) suppressed, repressed, and shut down. Fortunately, Nathan has been able to get his message out to countless thousands of people, if not more, And I've been grateful I can help him with that. So again, it's easy to find the real doctors today because they're not playing silly games in the brainwashing system and they follow the principles of health. When people get sick in any way, shape, or form, there are things that always work. Sunshine is one of them. Fresh air is one of them. Connection to friends and loved ones is another one. So far, the research that's done through real science shows that whatever COVID is, it's no more dangerous than the seasonal flu, and the death rate is less than 1%, and about 100% of those people were suffering from multiple comorbidities, meaning they were already Humpty Dumpty sitting on the wall, and any little puff of wind gives them a great fall. So, uh, I have tremendous empathy for people that get what they think is COVID, but when you consider the fact, an actual fact, we do not have a reliable test for COVID. That's all just part of the manufacturer's scam. We have no idea what people are getting. We really don't. And they're not going to tell you the truth anyhow, because it's part of their game to jack the numbers as high as they can and scare the hell out of you. So, at the end of the day, 
whatever they're getting is an opportunistic organism of some type. And that's why I created the video on my YouTube channel called Your COVID-19 Protection Plan. And lo and behold, I have not missed a day of work in 37 years following that same plan. And most people that follow my teachings are far, far healthier than when they didn't and healthier than others that don't. Now, I'd like to share another perspective on number six. One of the most powerful shaman and teachers I ever worked with, well, the most powerful actually, was a woman named Rowena Kreider. If you want to look her up, it's R-O-W-E-N-A-K-R-Y-D-E-R. Unfortunately, she's passed away now. But Rowena's depth of knowledge, wisdom, and capability was almost beyond comprehension. I was regularly bedazzled at her abilities in art, math, science, shamanism, and many other fields, and she clearly demonstrated mastery of them all, and anyone that's ever worked with her can verify that. She authored several books, which I have in my library. All of them are excellent, one of which is titled Destiny, Gaia Matrix Oracle Numerology, in which she explains the quality of the number six, and I will share key aspects from her book that are relevant to understanding the nature of the six, which again is the product of the three twos in 2022. Rowena informs us that six implies a recognition of the relative nature of the soul with its own desires that are apart from the spirit's intention and purpose. So a note on that for you. What is um, what, what, what she's really pointing out here is what our invitation in this regard is to ask ourselves if our thoughts, words, and deeds are in harmony with the greater goods of the whole at this time, and the greater whole includes the entire planet, not just the wants and needs of people. The number six reveals a focus on the cycles and gyrations of the soul as it polarizes between purpose and the allurements of the world. This, as it relates to 2022, means that we all need to get clear on what our purpose is and what reality is and be careful about drawing virtual reality glasses or donning virtual reality glasses with Mark Zuckerberg. Remember, nothing you see on a video screen will feed, hydrate, warm, or shelter you in a real crisis. So this is a warning not to get caught up in the allurements of the world, which are coming at you hot and heavy through all computer systems, phones, tablets, screens, and Those are very dangerous brainwashing technologies, as clearly outlined in the Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it's very important to watch that, especially if you have kids. Rowena says, Nicomachus called the six the form of form, the only number adapted to the soul, the distinct union of the parts of the universe, the fabricator of the soul, also harmony. This suggests that the authentic nature of the soul is that of the universe, which is a beautiful dance of harmony. It's the mind that is the soul's greatest joy and its greatest jailer. 
Six is called The Perfection of the Parts by Pythagoras because it is formed by the multiplication of the first odd number beyond one and the first even number, so two times three. Three is the first odd number beyond one. Two is the first even number equals six. This relates, Rowena says, as we've discussed, to the interlocking triangle Triangles of the union of the male and female. The six of the seal of Solomon is the union of fire and water. So the four element exercise I gave you earlier will help you get the male and female triangles within yourself balanced. But you have to choose to actually pay attention, get clear, and do the work to balance yourself. Remember, Einstein warned that you cannot solve a problem with the same kind of thinking that created it. That's something very important to keep in mind in the situation that we're all in today. And I will look at that issue of thinking constructively shortly. We gain additional insights into the number six in another great book called Numerology, Astrology, and Dreams by Dusty Bunker. Dusty Bunker says six takes on the social responsibilities brought about by the decisions made in five. I'll say that again. Six takes on the social responsibilities brought about by the decisions made in five. We can look at this from the perspective of the fact that 2021, remember you reduced two plus two plus one to five. Therefore, in 2022, a six-year, we are taking the responsibilities for the decisions we made in 2021. These responsibilities and decisions from last year will influence the choices we need to make to bring balance and harmony in 2022 at a personal, family, societal, national, cultural, and world level because each of these levels are also levels of mind ranging from personal mind to progressively higher levels of the social or collective mind of humanity, which Daniel Goldman has written entire books about. In tarot, archetype number five is the hierophant, which represents the guru, teacher, wise man, or guide. And those of you that listened to my 2021 podcast may remember that I warned of the absolute importance of choosing who guides you and influences your choices very carefully due to the issues of the world that we are experiencing at this time which only become more dangerous to everyone as we enter 2022. So I extend my suggestion once again. Choose who you believe in and follow very carefully, because quite frankly, at this stage, your life, the life of your loved ones, and all the freedoms you previously had literally depend on it. Number six in alchemy symbolizes the philosopher's stone. Though many today are completely confused as to what the Philosopher's Stone is, I will alleviate that confusion should it be your own. The Philosopher's Stone symbolizes all the wisdom you've gained through the process of your life, what you've learned through your challenges that has resulted in being more aware, wiser, and is now living wisdom within you. It is not some kind of special or rare stone, as many people think it is. So, What we're gaining from Dusty Bunker when she says six symbolizes the Philosopher's Stone 
is that in 2022, a sixth year, we will need to draw on all the wisdom of our entire individual and collective life experience in order to resolve the issues and the challenges that we all face, both within ourselves as human beings and with the predicament that we have created with our so-called advanced technology that has made life so-called easier, but has us on the verge of a complete and utter environmental collapse or catastrophe. And I've spoken about that in many podcasts. If you haven't listened to my podcast with Jamie Wheel, um, (laughs) it's an adult-only exploration with a lot of honesty. So a tip for you, one of the key questions genuinely wise people ask themselves when being presented with information or so-called facts or science or an offering or proposal of any kind is this one simple question. Is it really true? Is it really true that God loves me but will burn me in hell for sinning? Is it really true that there is actually such a thing as heaven or hell outside the illusions created in the minds of those that simply believe without applying the principles of critical thinking? Is it really true that this virus is deadly, or are we just seeing the same people dying of comorbidities that are always dying from poor health? Now that trillions of dollars are being made by putting them in the spotlight, and creating a label for them, how many of them are actually dying from a nocebo effect, which is the placebo effect in reverse? Placebo effect happens when somebody tells you you're taking a drug or a medicine that will help you, but you don't realize there's really something neutral in there, like um, uh, a common thing they put in there is powdered sugar. Sometimes a placebo effect can have just clay in it or something that really has kind of no real effect on the body in that dose. A nocebo effect is when someone tells you that you're sick or that you have a dangerous virus in the environment or that uh, the boogeyman's going to get you or that you're going to have bad luck and you believe it and therefore you manifest it. When you consider that most drugs tested cannot outperform a placebo, and that there has been no real science done on the so-called medicines being mandated today, we can only hope that the placebo effect is stronger than the toxicity they create, being those so-called medicines, the stress from being wired to the 5G grid 24-7 and lighting your body up like a Christmas tree. If you're not sure what I mean by that, then you might want to do some research into what graphene oxide does electromagnetically and what it is classically used for in advanced technologies and nanobot technologies and uh, get yourself educated. Is it really true that we should all be wearing face masks? Is it really true that we should allow a government to remove natural treatments that have a long history of helping us with such issues? Is it really true that we should stay indoors? Is it really true that the unvaccinated present a greater greater danger than the vaccinated or vice versa? You always have to ask in both directions. I have my own opinions, of course, because I 
I'm in the health business and have been my whole life pretty much. And I think about this stuff and it's important to me. And a lot of people rely on my guidance, but I'm saying, I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm asking you to think constructively and use the wisdom in you and use holistic thinking. Is it really true that governments and agencies that propose to protect us really have our best interest at heart? Is it really true that Bill Gates is a loving philanthropist that would never do anything to hurt our children or us? You should put about 10 question marks behind that one. Is it really true that the PCR test or any of the tests being offered as acceptable are actually a viable test for any virus? You should look carefully into that. I have. And so on. Wise people can usually be found alive when those that blindly follow authority figures or false hierophants are badly injured or dead. That has been the case throughout history. Now let's take a deeper look at 2022 by understanding archetypes and the tarot system. So this could be quite an education for some of you. If you're an anti-tarot person, then if you actually want to be an effective student and thinker, I would highly recommend you drop your bias and pay close attention to what I'm sharing here, or you're already in deep trouble in the environment we're in. If you are someone who's interested in tarot or uses it, then this will be um, maybe potentially some support for your own understanding. So remember, the tarot system is a system of archetypes. An archetype is a word that means original idea. Steiner speaks of primordial archetypes, such as space, time, and movement, that lie outside the construct of the human psyche. And these, by the way, are the archetypes that are involved in astrological influences on the human psyche. So I wish I had time to to go into that in more detail because we have the same kind of misunderstandings of astrology uh, that we do with tarot and many holistic approaches and things like psi, like you know ESP and other things. But most people just don't even look at the research; they're just you know regurgitating what their daddy told them or some daddy figure in a school without thinking. This is why David Bohm and Jung both said, real thinking is hard work. Most people just rearrange their prejudices and call it thinking. And that is just too terribly true. From a Jungian perspective, archetypes are symbolic forms within the psyche of man that act similar to a prism. Just as light shine through a prism is broken into the colors of the rainbow and we can't see ultraviolet or infrared, you could say that the colors of the rainbow are archetypes that allow us to make many different color expressions from them. Okay, So an archetype meaning original idea. So the archetype red would be at play anytime the concept of red is at play. So if you use a metaphor like she was so upset she was seeing red, that would include the archetype of red, even though seeing red isn't the use of a color like you would paint something. So the original idea, anywhere you use something, if you track it back to its original idea, that's the archetype. 
in painting and fine arts, there's three primary colors, red, blue, and yellow, which uh, we can liken to archetypes in this analogy. They are called primary colors because they cannot be created by mixing other colors, so that you can't those you can't create those other colors by any ways, which makes them archetypal. Primary colors form the basis of color therapy or are the basic building blocks of color from which it is possible to mix other colors. So we could rightly say that red, blue, and yellow are archetypal with respect to the colors that can be made from them, yet behind the primary colors, we have the archetype or original idea of color itself. So though we have the example of the primary colors I've just given or the colors of a prism, those are all expressions of a deeper archetype, which is color itself. Just as we all, all have fingerprints, each of them are unique, but they're all expressions of the archetype fingerprint or the idea of fingerprints. You can't have a fingerprint without a category with which to make meaning of the concept, and that would be the fingerprint archetype. So whenever we use the concept so-and-so's fingerprints, it's only because we have the archetypal concept in our mind that we can actually make meaning of a sentence that includes the word fingerprint in it. We are all the products of a mother and her father, and all parents are unique, but all mothers are expressions of the mother archetype and all fathers the father archetype. This archetype extends itself wherever the idea of a mother or a father exists, or a male or a female source, such as plants, insects, animals, or even aliens, if you have sexed aliens. I'm trying to show you that an archetype extends itself into any use of the archetypal concept. In a paper titled Archetypes and the Collective Unconscious of Carl G. Jung in Light of Quantum Psychology by Adam Adamski, published in Neuroquantology, September 2011, Volume 9, Issue 3, page 563 through 571, we learn the following information about archetypes. Archetypes are the means of action and may take form of images, dreams, or they are a stimulus to a specific action. So I'll say that again. Archetypes are the means of action, and they may take the form of images, dreams, or they are a stimulus to a specific action. Jung says that dreams are archetypal guidance and are the wisdom of past generations. Unaware parts of the psyche are often associated with certain events, are often associated with certain events with an archetypal pattern, with similar events taking place in many times in history. So an example of that, no matter where you go in the history or the historical record of human beings, there's always been birth, there's always been life, and there's always been death. There's always been transition. There's always been mothers, there's always been fathers, and there's usually always some kind of a king or queen or leader. So what Jung's saying is that regardless of where we go in the history of past generations, there will be archetypal 
patterns that hold the narrative so that we can understand it and relate to it, whether we are thinking of the past or the future. Archetypes often carry a strong emotional charge because relationships with people are the result of differences in the dominant sphere of archetypal feelings, meaning we all have different archetypes, some the same, some different. But not all of us have a great relationship with our mother or our father, so one person thinks of mother and has warm feelings of love and support. Another one thinks, oh my God, not her again. Usual antipathy and sympathy can be regarded as archetypal conditions, so moving towards or away. Archetypes form in depth of our ever-changing mental mosaic, which penetrates the mythical imagination. So um, what, what he's saying there is that archetypes are at the root of our consciousness, the depth of our ever-changing mental mosaic, the constant stream of thoughts which penetrate the mythical imagination. And remember, the word myth means story. So whenever we're dealing with stories, we're dealing with archetypes. Symbols are combined together with archetypes and the collective unconscious and they are perceived as the language of the soul, and their absence may lead to neurosis. So if someone does not have an archetype with which to express themselves, then they cannot convey to a doctor, a therapist, or a spouse, or a friend what is going on with them. So imagine being in a situation where you can't describe what's wrong with you so you can't feel that you can get help and that can lead to neurosis. Neurosis is an adaptive crisis. So a neurosis is always the symptoms physically, mentally, and emotionally of a challenge that somebody doesn't have the resources to resolve. Symbols appear not only in dreams, but also in numerous psychiatric manifestations. So the symbols are the language of the soul, is, is why that's being said there. Symbols always point to something other than themselves. Point being is if you see a dragon in a dream, the dragon is saying something that may not at all be related to a dragon. So, for example, it could mean that you're facing a period of great transformation and you're going to encounter situations for which you are unfamiliar. So, a dragon can be a symbol like that in a dream. So, there's lots of depth to that. I've studied this many, many years because I do a lot of work in dream interpret interpretation with my patients because it's extremely informative for them and it's very exciting for me because I learn a lot. Now, there's numerous books written on archetypes, but a great one that I can suggest for a good explanation of archetypes as used in Jungian psychology, for those who want to learn more, is titled Complex Archetype Symbol in the Psychology of C.G. Jung by Jolanda Jacobi, J-O-L-A-N-D-E, J-A-C-O-B-I. Again, complex archetype symbol in the psychology of C.G. Jung. It's not a big, heavy-duty read. It's very well written, 
and highly informative. Hi, everybody. Do you guys want to know one of my secret weapons that helps me avoid being sick or feeling run down? It's Organifi Immunity. Organifi Immunity is a super high-quality, certified organic drink mix that provides daily immune support and supports overall immunity. Organifi Immunity contains whole food vitamins C and D, whole food zinc, mushroom beta-glycans, and provides only natural sweetness. Not only will you support your immune system, but you'll also get on-the-go superfoods in a delicious orange blend that is great for you and your kids and everyone will love it. My family and I love it and it's easy as tearing off the top of the package and mixing it with high-quality drinking water and you can rest a little easier knowing that you're enhancing your immune system, which is probably a good idea now that so many people are spending so much time indoors, breathing indoor air, and lacking sun exposure. Why not enjoy a little immune insurance while getting certified organic nutrients, superfoods, and great taste that's quick, easy, and effective? To get your Organifi immunity and shop their amazing product line with your Living 4D discount, Go to O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com and save 20% on any and all of their products using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. That's check 20 during checkout. Enjoy Organifi. Now, most of you are familiar with Joseph Campbell's writings and teachings on the hero's journey. The Hero's Journey contains a series of well-known steps or archetypal stages that we all engage, whether we're, the, whether we're conscious of them or not. Some authors have a 10-stage cycle, some 12, and I've even seen 18 steps by other authors. But the whole cycle of the Hero's Journey has three key archetypal phases, and it'll become clear why I'm telling you this in just a second. So the three key archetypal phases are the call to adventure, which is a departure from the normal everyday world, meaning you're not just sitting in an office or going through your normal routine. The hero is called to an adventure, and it is not the normal everyday world. Sound at all familiar? (laughs) We are all on the hero's journey right now. Then they come to the ordeal, which always brings some form of death of who you are when you started the journey, meaning you can't complete the journey as the person you were at the beginning, and a rebirth of a new hero that has transcended the challenges on the path. So the ordeal brings you face-to-face with a challenge that could kill you, but it definitely kills the child in you, and you must become an adult that takes responsibility for their choices, or you will not make it through the ordeal. Sound familiar again? Finally, you have the return. Once you've transcended the ordeal, experience your rebirth, the realization that you're not the same person anymore, you have a choice. Sit on the knowledge you've gained and try to avoid the ordinary world so you don't have to go through it all again, or follow your heart. Realizing that most everyone is trapped in some form of ignorance or another that is limiting their freedom, you, the hero, are called to return and share your wisdom and risk the fate of Jesus and many, many others who were killed upon returning to the ordinary world. Why? 
because the ordinary world is filled with people that are largely unconscious and caught up in all sorts of dogmas that are not serving them, but that they are conditioned to believe as truth. So, the sleepwalkers have a real tendency to kill the healers and prophets that come to free them. This is exactly why Jesus said as he was being crucified to those that he came to help, about those that he came to help, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That, right now, is a real issue because the people that are being censored, like Joe Mercola, um, Dr. Kelly Brogan, um, you know, Sayer G, uh, you know, all sorts of them, I mean, the big 12 of Biden, uh, they're the people that are the Jesus coming to say, wait a minute, boys and girls, masks don't help, being locked inside doesn't help, and there's a lot of natural medicines that really do help and have a long track record, such as ivermectin, which was vilified and made evil um, by the so-called experts that are the fake hierophants that you need to be very careful of because they are the ordeal. They are the ordeal. Think about that. So as much baggage and bad press as the Turo-Ikotype system has gotten, largely due to the priesthood of Christianity trying to repress any esoteric knowledge that frees people from the control of the church, in actual fact, the Turo-Archetypes tell the exact same story as the hearer's journey, except they do it in 22 steps or archetypes, the beginning and the end of which is zero. So the journey begins at zero, the fool. Then you go through 21 archetypal steps on your journey from zero back to zero again. Now, as a little caveat here, though those are steps in a journey, they are also archetypes that are aspects of the human mind or psyche that are at play all the time at some level. Okay, I wish I could explain it more. Maybe someday I'll do a podcast on tarot. I'm probably going to do a series of workshops because it's not something you can really teach quick and easy if you want to learn it effectively. It took me 18 months of honest study of one to two and a half hours a day of, of working with tarot and doing the work to follow the Egyptian system that they use to train Egyptian priests. So um, someone like me doesn't want to mislead people with a fluffy new age weekend, you're an expert now certificate. So as we move forward, I want to speak of archetypes. Jung said, a picture is worth a thousand words and an archetype is worth millions of pictures or images. So, with what we've discussed about archetypes now, you can see that an archetype in the psyche can produce millions of images. So when I say the lover's archetype, how long would it take you to exhaust the concept of the lovers if you expressed it every possible way you could think of? A long time. So he's speaking metaphorically here. But there are many theories on the origins of tarot offered by numerous 
qualified investigators on the subject, ranging from very wise and deep people like Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell, Angeles Arian, an anthropologist, shaman, and tarot expert, to James Wanless, who's also been on my podcast and talked about tarot. So there's a great one for you. He's real fun. And countless other offers on the subject. One of the wisest, uh, excuse me, one of the... uh, the one thing the wise of them all agree upon is that Christianity has done its best to make tarot out to be devil's play. Such beliefs are for the uneducated, cultish, indoctrinated, and superstitious who still believe that the World Health Organization, the FDA, the CDC, the AMA, and related organizations have your best interest at heart. So there's a big question for you. Is it really true? Meditate on that and look into it. The documentary I suggested based on uh, Len Horowitz's work, DNA, Pirates of the Sacred Spiral, will certainly be a great place to start investigating that very issue. I'm confident that many of you have people of this orientation with your own family and sadly don't feel alone Even though siblings may come from the same parents, it's important to remember that our parents give us a body and and the initial programming we need to re-enter the game of life, but they do not provide the soul within their children. Each soul is as unique as the differences among the siblings. Even in a hardcore Christian Catholic family eating at the same table, going to the same schools, playing the same games, celebrating the same holidays, Out of that same family, you can get a heterosexual child, a homosexual child, a transvestite child, a drug abuser, a drug avoider, a good little girl, a bad boy, a criminal, and a saint in the making. So, some will find tarot very useful as a tool to enhance how they engage life, while others in the family will see it as devil's work. So, there's a, a couple of key points I'm making there, and that is... There are all sorts of opinions amongst people, even in the same family, and parents need to realize their children are not their children. They're children of the universe. They're their children because they're their responsibility, but the soul in each child is extremely unique, and that's why I mentioned within the same family, you can have a radical difference amongst children, and my family is a great example of that. But those of us with little common sense, excuse me, with a little bit of common sense, know that they're just cards with images painted on them. And if you'd designed your own tarot cards and then and only you knew what the archetypes were, then most people in your family, whatever their orientation, would oh, just look at them and think something like, oh, Johnny's practicing his art. So there you have it. Programming limits common sense until you rise above it and become the fool. I mentioned the fool earlier. A good example of this was brought up in my podcast with tarot expert James Wanless, author of an excellent book called Voyager Tarot. In Voyager Tarot, and in our podcast discussion, uh, James Wanless shows the history of Tarot Archetype 15, which is the devil, informing us that in the pre-Christian era, the Egyptian era, when tarot was used to train the Egyptian priests, tarot number 15 was not called the devil. It was called Ra, the sun god, and represented freedom. 
So it was Christian authors, Christian programming that caused people to start making tarot decks that converted number 15 from raw into the devil. And instead of representing freedom, it represented bondage. So there you go. There's a little tarot history for you. Such negative, manipulative influences by Christianity and many of the orthodoxies of the world great religions are well documented. I've personally studied so many books, documentaries, and university courses on these issues, including interviews with experts on these topics. It's clear to me and anyone that does their research that we must each be very adult and discerning, discerning as to what aspects of religious influence are healthy practices to live by, and which beliefs and practices are designed to keep people small and controllable for a few rich and powerful that use religion to control the minds of the masses. Anyone who studied these issues, as much or more than I have, are all very aware of the same control dramas that have played out over the past several millennia are alive and at use at this time, but are being done much more efficiently through the use of very advanced electronic technologies. I go very deep into these issues in four potent podcasts with Anna Retort, author of Krivda, The God Tricks Against the Matrix. If you haven't watched the two lectures by Len Horowitz titled DNA Pirates of the Sacred Spile on YouTube, you will not only get a very potent education to what has been and is going on right now, but complete confirmation of what Anna Retort shares in her book and in the podcasts I offer with her. See the show notes for a link to Dr. Horowitz's uh, lectures that I've mentioned here um, and uh, get ready for quite a wake-up experience. And he's very well-researched. I sent it to one of my skeptical friends who's an elite soldier who thinks a lot of this well, let's just say we have different opinions. So I sent him Dr. Horowitz's two lectures and said, please prove me wrong because he's extremely well-researched and leaves a trail of undeniable references anybody can track down, as does Mickey Willis in his Plandemic documentary series. And nobody, no fact-checker has ever been able to prove him wrong. Many think that the tarot and the archetypes are evil um, and they're the very ones susceptible to sex suggestions by the priest class and have already been seriously injured and killed by the medicine of today. And that is the price of believing in anyone with a white jacket as a representative of truth and goodness. It's not hard, by the way, to find photographs of J. Robert Oppenheimer, chief architect of the atomic bomb, wearing the white jacket of the priesthood either. And we have enough nuclear warheads at this very moment to completely and utterly destroy our planet 179 times over. So there are gods among us, but often they are gods of the negative polarity. My point is Oppenheimer uh, and crew may not necessarily have been doing us or nature or anybody any favors if you start looking into the research on nuclear weapons and if you look into walter russell's work you'll find that a very long time ago i believe it was around 1927 he wrote, wrote the u.s government a very comprehensive document 
of multiple hundreds of pages explaining exactly what the dangers of nuclear power were and warned the government not to mess with nuclear uh, weapons and and power plants, and uh, they ignored him. So, their function is to highlight the good, beauty, and truthful by generating enough darkness to make it easier to see the light of the good. So I'm saying that the people that hold the negative polarity, the dark ones, sometimes called evil people, is paradoxically to highlight the good, beauty, and truthful aspects of life by generating enough darkness to make it easier to see the light. In other words, we wouldn't know what the good was without evil. So, paradoxically, evil supports the good. And good, if you do good just to do good, i.e. a good little boy or girl that follows the rules but doesn't think, then you are actually supporting evil by definition. The good must be transcended if one desires to know source, which is beyond duality, as numerous mystics have taught us. In other words, you can't really develop an authentic relationship with God as long as you're polarized by good and evil, because you stay stuck in a duality, which is the number two. You can have a union experience with the universe when you get to number one, but to get to God as the authentic source, you have to make it to zero, which is really not easy because you have to let go of your ego because that is a one. So lots of paradoxes there. I've been face to face with them many times. At this time in the evolution of man, we must become the gods of love, the preservators, preservers of life, liberty, freedom, and justice for ourselves and for each other and for the world. If we don't, Yesterday will equal tomorrow, and with more robots and more sick people and less and less freedoms until we reach a cold, bitter end that looks more like Mad Max than what you see out your window right now. So if you haven't seen the movie Mad Max, you might want to watch it. So I will now give you a basic explanation of the subjective or feeling aspect of the relevant numbers included in the numbers and their archetypes that are involved in the years 2020, 2021, and 22, I will then share a recap of what I offered in relationship to the numerology and archetypes of 2020 and 2021 and extend that assessment to 2022. And I'll do that just so you can see how each year builds upon the previous year. Like Dusty Bunker said, what happens in six depends on the choices you made in five. After we explore the numbers and their archetypes, I will share uh, reports I've gained from two people that I have deep respect for and personal experience of their work, who I specifically reached out to for this podcast and asked for a 2022 forecast. The first will be Vedic astrologer Ernst Wilhelm. The second will be James Tunney, one of the leading experts of of today on the pending issues of Scientocracy, Technocracy, and Transhumanism, who is also an international lawyer that has worked at the UN and taught law and is a very deep man. If you've listened to any of my podcasts with him, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, if you really want to know what's going on with some of these issues of Scientocracy, Transhumanism, etc., he's written three books on it. And they're really worth reading, and he's worth listening to. 
When we look at the key numbers of 2020, 21, and 22, we can see right off the bat that there are a lot of twos and zeros involved. Since zero is the source from which all other numbers emerge, we'd best begin with a basic understanding of zero, both as a symbol as an, and as an archetype. Remember, zero isn't a number because there is nothing to count. Zero is a symbol because it points beyond itself to something else. On a number line, if we go to the right of zero, we get positive numbers or indications of something tangible, such as one, two, or three, or four apples, as an example. If we go to the left on a number line of zero, or to the left of zero on a number line, we get negative numbers. For example, if you're planning on baking an apple pie, but you notice that you're out of apples and know you need four baking apples to make your pie, it is your awareness that you lack four apples that sends you to the apple tree or to the store to fulfill your dream of making a pie. So if you have four apples, a positive movement to the right is zero, then you can make your pie. But if you're lacking four, it inspires fulfillment. So negatives psychologically often are linked with desire. Having zero apple when you need four triggers the transcendent function of zero. You go looking elsewhere for your apples. <laughs> um, remember, transcendent function points you to somewhere else. If there's none in your house, then you better go look on a tree or in a store. So you're transcending the situation. That is the nature of a symbol. It's a tool to direct your consciousness towards something that can't be contained by the symbol. A symbol of an apple won't make a pie. An apple will make a pie. You may be aware, uh, maybe you're a person that wears a crucifix on your neck, but Jesus isn't really hanging from your neck. The symbol invites you to transcend the symbol and connect to the consciousness of Jesus. That's how a symbol works. If you actually think Jesus is hanging on your neck, the symbol is dead and has become a sign. And by definition, that's idol worship, which the Christian church states that it's not only vehemently against, but violently against, as millions of pagans can attest to, if you can find their dead souls to talk to them. Whenever zero appears behind a number, it multiplies it by the power of 10. So a zero appears, if it appears before a number then and you have a decimal point, it divides it by a power of 10. So zero is sort of a placeholder. It can hold 10 of something in one place in our 10 number system um, if it's used in that way. So if our mind has zero thought in it, we certainly have lots of freedom for more. So zero is a womb of sorts, like a, a, a womb, like a uterus, a place of gestation. You can always put or grow something within the infinite space zero offers. So the whole universe is really within the womb of zero. All things countable come from zero. Metaphysically, zero equals source or pure potential. In tarot, zero is the archetype that represents the fool. The fool in tarot represents the beginning of the hero's journey and the end of the cycle when one completes the journey. If one is inexperienced or youthful res with respect to the challenger path ahead, 
then they are an immature fool, yet on return with all the experience gained, we have a wise fool because the initiate has seen the world, bet the dragons, overcome the challenges with the help of a mentor or supernatural aid. Such a person is now aware of the booby traps and where they are and isn't likely to be easily fooled on the past. So there you see once again, wise people are usually still alive when immature fools or conditioned or brainwashed people end up dead. I'm trying to inspire all of you to think holistically and constructively and ask, is it really true? That's why I gave you those example questions. Now, from a soul or multi-lifetime perspective, the wise or mature fool in tarot is said to be wise because the fool has lived through all the archetypes in the hero's journey cycle, so the fool is hip to all the games, and paradoxically, the fool is never easy to fool. Now, what I'm referring to here is tarot is a system that includes numerology. So there's a formula where you can take your birth date, add up all the digits, and reduce them. And as long as the number you reduce it to isn't greater than 22, it will tell you what your soul path is and what your uh, personality path is. So interestingly enough, I was born August 24th, 1961. So there's a formula. That's one formula. There's other formulas too. Uh, but in, in tarot, my birth date adds up to 22. So in 22, that's zero in tarot because there's 21 major archetypes and the 22nd is zero, the fool, but two plus two is four, which is the emperor. So in tarot, based on like, just like you can do astrology for your birth chart, I'm a 22, which means that my soul path is the emperor, number four, and my personality path is zero, the fool. So there's an example of what I'm referring to there when I say from a multi-life perspective, meaning uh, a soul that has continued on <clears throat> and and comes back and is maturing and growing as a soul. So remembering that the fool also is an expression, an archetypal expression of zero, I'd like to share a different perspective. From a metaphysical or spiritual perspective, zero represents the divine mirror. The front of the mirror is glass, behind which is a reflective surface. The fool is a clear mirror and reflective, but you can't see the mirror because it is full of what is before it. When you, an individual, stand before a mirror, you see yourself and your surroundings, and that's what fills the mirror. Therefore, the mirror itself has nothing to be conscious of within itself because it's empty. It symbolizes egolessness. You could say that the mirror is pure consciousness, the divine placeholder that allows you to fully be and see and experience yourself and others. If the mirror, for example, was full of black spots, anyone that looked into it would think they had black spots on them. It is because the divine, or because zero as the divine mirror is empty of itself, that it has room to hold and reflect 
whatever you put before it. So the mirror, like God, not a religious God that has rules or regulations, but source, that which can't be known, is unconditionally accepting or unconditionally loving. And though God can't be known, we can surmise that God is unconditionally loving and accepting because everything's happening. You can be as loving or as evil as you like. And it all seems to be part of the process of source experiencing itself. Therefore, no one, regardless of race, color, creed, ugliness, or beauty, is refused by the mirror. Anyone that believes God rejects anyone else isn't worshiping God, but they do have pieces of painted glass hanging before their eyes. So be warned, such people have a very hard time experiencing source or themselves in the mirror, and because of it, what they do see is the programming painted on the glasses that is their reality. Of course, the glasses here is a metaphor of one's mind. This is fine and fairly normal, but it's when such people try to make you wear their lenses or adopt their programming that things start getting uncomfortable. When I look at the year 2020, I see a 2 with a 0 followed by another 2, so a pair of 2s looking at each other in the mirror. Remember, 2 represents mind. A 2 with a 0 following it suggests that Whatever you create with your mind, a duality, again two, is exactly what you're going to get. So in my interpretation, the first 20 in 2020 represents the feminine or inner self, while the 20 that follows represents the outer self. So everything inside you, two, looking into the mirror, the yin and the yang of your inner self, or your soul self, or your inner nature. And then there's another 20 which is what you see outside of yourself, which, if you had no ego, would still be yourself, just be an expression of the rest of you. And that's kind of how life works. We create around us physical representations of what we believe and see inside of us. In a previous podcast, uh, podcast I suggested that the significance of this number is that it suggests that 2020 would be a year of looking into ourselves personally and collectively so we can see what we've all buried in our personal and collective unconscious or our shadow. And, oh boy, did we ever get an unveiling of that Um, (laughs) bubbling up in 2020. So our work has just begun. And as you will see as we progress into 2022, I will share what the unconscious is and how it works a little further along in this podcast, which will be quite a lesson for anyone that hasn't studied the unconscious, so stay tuned. This is is a fairly long podcast. Um, I tried to trim it down, but um, as an educator, there's things I feel people need to understand, or you just get fluffy, kind of superficial stuff that never really leads to much change or action, because if you don't make meaning out of something, then current doesn't flow through you. You have no um, you have no sense of purpose or function. Now, another view is that zero stands for unconditional love. The challenge with unconditional love is that the answer to every prayer and our thoughts, our prayers, 
is yes. For source or zero to say no would be to limit both its own creativity and its ability to experience its own potentials. Thus, wise people have often stated, be careful what you wish or pray for, you might just get it. So when you put a two representing duality or the mind on either side of a zero, you best be careful what you wish for and pray for. And I, you know, aside from the the date that I'm, you know, sharing concepts on here, that's the case all the time, um, no matter what the year is. But these are numerological significances, and so I'm interpreting them as symbols so that you can look at different perspectives. Um, you know, in reality, there's so many perspectives on different anything that you have to sort of, as I said, you know, trust your logic, your rational sense, and then also trust your feeling sense, your heart sense, your gut sense, and your intuitive sense, or use all four functions of consciousness. Think about it, feel it, sense it, and intuit it. And then go with what seems to harmonize with you. Now, the fool in tarot is a symbol of freedom. And, and the fool isn't really a she or a he. If you look at the tarot cards, many of them are, are sort of, um, they're halfway in between. They're, they, they could be male or female, depending on what you project onto them. But since all of us can be the fool, I will refer to them or to any of these things as a she and a he. So again, the fool in tarot is a symbol of freedom, and she or he travels light, loves beauty, lives spontaneously, and dances on, dances on the edges of cliffs. The fool is fearless and unafraid of death. The life of the fool is never easy because people hate seeing someone freer than they are, so they often attack the fool and only later realize it wasn't the fool that was the problem, it was their own resent of the choices they've, they've made and the lack of freedom that they have. So be careful how you handle the person dancing naked in the rain with a lampshade on their head, because you may be looking at the part of yourself that is free from fear, doctrine, dogma, and isn't afraid to live fully in the here and now. I'll share more on the fool and zero as we go along with what the numbers for, uh, say, from a tarot perspective, but it's important as a tip for 2022 and beyond to be true to yourself. Life is precious. Life is short. The last thing you want is to find yourself on your deathbed wishing you had lived. And I, you know, I'm not a super young guy anymore. I'm 60, so I've had time to meditate on a lot of things, do a lot of things, and have some highs and some lows and some in-betweens and and uh, but I have that sense of peace that if if I was to die any time, I have fully lived. I've had a great time, really. In all honesty, I've worked very hard and been my own man and trusted my instincts and my intuition and found love in my soul. And it's been good. I just know how precious human life is. So when I see people living without living, I I feel sad for them. 
But lo and behold, in 2020, the corruption in governments, medical systems, and regulatory agencies bubbled to the surface with great intensity and luminosity. Censorship became progressively uh, stronger, um, and anyone effectively sharing truth or viewpoints outside the controlled narrative was met with censorship and often slanderous degradation of their character. Um, was shut down and isolated by ruling text gods, such as I think it's uh, Jeffrey Epstein, I think it is, that put out the documentary first showing how Google was rigging things, and they pretty much locked him out of his bank accounts in his whole life for six months, and he had to take him to court to get it back. I can't remember his first name. Um, but anyhow, most of you would know who, if you've been studying that stuff, the guy that first proved scientifically that Google was rigging things. The most effective of the truth-tellers were named the Big 12 by Biden, meaning of the people were getting censored the most. Biden called them the Big 12, and many of them were receiving death threats and other threats from the brainwashed people among us for, for trying to help people. In 2021, we still hold the sequence 202, so 2021, the first three numbers 202, of looking into the divine mirror, and we saw a lot of communication, or a continuation, I should say, of personal and family breakdown, trauma, raising addictions, and suicide due to the stress of the environment worldwide. We also experienced an increased attempt to censor and control the public narrative, and the manipulation of science and truth by statistical games, secrets, and segregation. In 2021, the Divine Mirror sequence of 202 was followed by a 1, which interestingly represents the mind in the tarot archetype system. 1 is the archetype of the magician, and so how appropriate that is. Now, just to give you some light on the numerological aspects of 2021, and it's actually still 2021 while I'm recording this. I'm doing this well in advance, so I have some time to work on my new book, which has a lot of these concepts in it, especially when we get to the unconscious. That'll be a nice sample of my new book for you. But in numerology, number one correlates with the following key descriptor, descriptors. Initiation and action, initiative, potential, and singularity, individuality, originality, and uniqueness. When these qualities are not used in a positive, life-affirming way, the energies of number one produce dependency, following the crowd, or what is often referred to as sheep-herd mentality. Now, in 2021, did we not see a lot of people follow the herd and act out dependency on government agencies and medical people that have a very bad track record of producing health for anybody, which is clearly a sign of sheep herd mentality and or being brainwashed. Those like myself and pretty much every one of my friends in 2021 acted positively to help educate and inform people. We took initiative and we exercised our potential while maintaining a spiritual awareness 
that it's all a singularity. So we don't want to get too jacked up to the point where we're so stressed we're not productive. We exercised our individuality and maintained our originality and uniqueness. And one of the reasons I paint is to practice uh, originality and uniqueness. It's a beautiful way to express yourself in unique ways. So those of us wise enough to seek out legitimate sources of science reporting and information regarding the statistics on injury and death rates due to blindly following medical mandates saw the numbers grow so high they far exceeded the total number of vaccine injuries and deaths from all previous vaccines administered worldwide. Yet the ill-informed kept coming in droves and being injured and killed in large numbers, which goes on at this very moment. Science was pushed further from center stage and propaganda pawned off as science continued to be pushed into the minds of the masses, even though many of the best doctors and scientists in the world highlighted repeatedly that the mandates were unscientific, unethical, immoral, dangerous, and were not effective, particularly in comparison to the injury rates and deaths from the so-called cure. Many experts highlighted the damaging psychological consequences of masks and social distancing, particularly for children. In fact, I just saw a video today where the host got mothers who had masks on their kids and obviously had been following the rules, the, the fake rules, to pull their children's mask down so the cameraman could just see their face, which, without telling them, he was doing an experiment. What he showed with, I don't know, five or six kids in a row, none of which knew each other, that every one of them had their mouths wide open. Little babies, like one-year-olds or, you know, nine-months-old or one-and-a-half-year-olds or two-year-olds, every one of them, when the mother pulled the mask down, the child's mouth was wide open because it's just starving for oxygen. It's just so sad to see. So... We have a lot of little souls being tortured due to parental ignorance that is driven by contrived fear tactics, bogus science, and propaganda, and brainwashing. And uh, in 2022, it's going to get worse. There's a preview for you. <laughs> if you haven't been watching how they keep ramping things up and scaring and then winding people up and then letting them get comfortable and then back comes the mask, back comes this. So it's, it's quite a game, you know, being an ex-soldier, uh, you know, going through these types of initiations, both in basic training, then in training to be a paratrooper. I can recognize all the little tactics and so can anybody that's got more than two brain cells that's been in the military. The fact that people in the military are lining up to get this whole thing done to them is vax, jab, whatever you want to call it, is just mind-boggling to me. But then again, I guess some people get in there and they become willing to do anything. They'll, they used to be willing to kill a commie for mommy, now they're willing to become one, which is a shock to me. Now the total for 2021 equals five, two and two is four and one is five, and the subjective quality of number five in numerology is expressed in the following keywords, adventure, opportunity, change, and variety. When these qualities are not adhered to consciously, and one progresses in a five-year out-of-habit or program behavior, they harmonize with the negative qualities of five. 
so I'll share those with you. Being stuck, that can be interpreted as being unable to move forward in the creation of your dreams or literally being stuck with something. And we saw a lot of people being stuck with something in 2021. And we should all ask, how's that working out so far? That's what I say to people that come to me trying to tell me that I need to get vaccinated or that I shouldn't be telling people things against it and whatever. I just look at them and say, and how's that working out so far? Usually they don't don't have an answer. They just look at me like they're staring at a wall, which is exactly what happens when you're in a trance state. Sadly, it is Fauci and Gates and and such people that are uh, (laughs) the ones that were that we're ultimately stuck with if we're being stuck. I don't choose to be stuck. Even if they put me in jail, I'd be free in myself. I'd hang out with my soul and my power animals and my spirit guides and work on the world from there. Next is strife. In tarot, all five cards represent some kind of a battle going on. Five represents the tipping point, the halfway point to completion of any task, project, or goal. If the journey or process has nine steps before completion, which would be ten, so if you take a cycle of, of, of activity from beginning to end, and you basically, it would be a spiral. So if you drew it as a spiral, when you got to the ninth point on the spiral, like clock numbers, when you then stepped to the next level 10, you would be one level up, like if you were following the spiral of a, of a spring, like a car's front end spring or a motorcycle suspension spring or any kind of a spring, a, a spiral. So point being is you have four steps up to get to the halfway point and four steps to completion. Four, one, two, three, four, five at the top of the pyramid and then one, two, three, four down if you do it in a pyramid style, and then to go up again, you'd be on the next pyramid, or the next point would be in the spiral would be the new rung of the spiral, the new uh, circular path. So the tip here is is that whenever you're dealing with strife and you have a year, like 2021, that's a five-year, it suggests that many people will reach the halfway point to completion, which might be completing their detoxification, their um, uh, getting to a certain level of spiritual growth, getting their finances in order, general health and fitness, any number of things, then there's a real tendency to give up at that point. So as an analogy, if you were running a marathon and you gave up at the five point in the marathon, you'd be exactly halfway to the finish line. What most don't realize is that it's the same distance to walk back to the starting line where most people's cars are parked as it is to you know, walk, jog, or drag yourself to the finish line. So better to keep going even if you have to slow down or pace yourself better because at least you have a completion to celebrate. When I heard Jordan Peterson on one of his videos say that people were pestering him to get vaccinated and he finally caved in just so they would stop pestering him, and he did it, of all people, I was absolutely (laughs) gobsmacked 
I was just like, wow, the last guy in the world I ever thought would throw in the towel and, and act like a sheeple. And then he admitted, but they didn't stop bothering me. So it was, was, it wasn't, it it was for nothing. And I'm like, whoa, dude, um, I, you know, that that's, there's an example of what happens to people in a five year if they don't have enough soul in them to carry them through the challenges that are always going to be there whenever you're creating anything meaningful from a relationship to a project, anything. They're, they're, these things are real, right? That's what makes life real. Paleo Valley makes some incredible superfood bars that are a lot different than what most people think of as a superfood bar. I've got Autumn Smith, the creator of their superfood bars, right here to tell you about them. Autumn, what is so unique about your awesome superfood bars? Well, our superfood bars are unique because not only do they not contain refined sugar or GMOs or any of the freaky additives that you'll find in most bars or gluten or anything, but they're just whole foods. They're low in sugar. They're made with superfoods like ginger and broccoli and acerola cherry and collagen from grass-fed and finished animals, which we all know is like a fountain of youth. And so the best part about them, though, is probably the flavor. They come in chocolate and apple cinnamon, and we have so many more delicious flavors to come, and they're easy to put in your bag to feed for you with your kids. And I hope you love them all as much as I do. All you have to do to get access is go to paleovalley.com, and you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K, 15, and you can get 15% off. And I hope you love them. That's awesome. And just so you know, that's P-A-L-E-O valley.com. And I know you're going to love Autumn's Superfood Bars. Tarot number five is the Hierophant. Um, in my previous podcast where I spoke of, 20, uh, of what 2021 is likely to hold in store for us, I explained that the Hierophant is the priest, guru, wise man, or wise woman, sage, or teacher. But to be a Hierophant, though, one must have a deep wisdom in relationship to the body or physical world, the mind, and the issues of understanding the spiritual realms or spiritual aspects of life. So a Hierophant used in the archetypal sense of tarot isn't just uh, someone who teaches auto mechanics or philosophy or physics. It's someone who has a lot of living wisdom and they're very practical and knowledgeable about the realities of living in the physical world, how the nature of mind works and what it can do when used properly and how dangerous it can be if used ignorantly. And they also understand the spiritual realms significantly because they've penetrated them and have a lot of real authentic deep spiritual experience so you could say that they're like someone who's a very experienced mountain climber that's climbed up the highest mountains and therefore make a good mountain guide so that's the difference a hierophant is not just someone who's good at something there's somebody who has a lot of life experience is well-rounded and is has depth in the physical, mental, and spiritual realms. Of course, the emotional ties all those together. I suggested in my previous forecast that we needed to be 
very careful as to who we accept as our priests, gurus, wise men, sages, teachers, or guides in 2021, or your poor choice in leadership may seriously get you injured or killed. I don't think I need to expand on just how accurate that advice was at the beginning of 2021, and I will now share the same advice as critical as we move into 2022. Whatever mistakes you make in a previous year, they're just like skunk smell. They follow you into a new year. For example, when it went from 1999 to the year 2000, all of our shadow and all our baggage didn't just disappear because we had a magically cool number to look at. So part of the reason I'm giving you my recap of the previous two years is so you can see what it was that I predicted, what was in the numerology, what did the tarot say, and how did it play out. And now that you can be aware, even if you weren't aware from my previous podcasts on this, you can be aware because if if you have awareness of something, then you can interact with it. And technically, whenever you are aware of something, you change it just by being aware of it. And that's really important when we get to the section where I talk about the unconscious. And we want to keep in mind that each number has an objective and a subjective quality, and that when using numerology to to determine the subjective feeling or psychological implications of numbers, we need to look at each individual number as well as the reduction of the total number being investigated. My investigation today ties the numerology of the date correlating with the archetype in the tarot system. So what I'm saying is, just like 2021 equals 5, that's the archetype number 5 in tarot of the Hierophant. 2020 was 4, that's the emperor. Okay, so now let's look at the tarot archetypes that are included in 2020, 2021, and 2022. And we will now switch from the subjective aspect of number to the archetypal expression, which I've been alluding to and shared a little bit of, but now we'll we'll go a little bit uh, deeper into it. All right, so now we're going to look at the tarot archetypes included in 2020, 2021, and 2022, just to recap where we're at and give you a brief explanation of what they mean. Remember, you add all the numbers in the year to get the master number. So 2020 is 4, 2021 is 5, 2022 is 6. So we'll do a quick review of them because all the numbers in there range between 1 and 6. You got zeros, you got a one, you got a two, but you add them all up, you get a four, five, and a six. So zero is the fool, which I talked about. One is the magician, which means using the power of your mind to create effectively, ideally, what you want. In tarot, the magician is standing before a table upon which lays a sword, which represents the air element and mind, a beautiful chalice or cup which represents emotions and the water element, a wand, which represents the fire element and the spiritual realms and the ability to use the mind to cause something to transform, such as pain in a relationship to love and freedom, and a big coin with a five-pointed star, which represents the earth element, 
currency, tangible goods, and what you have created with your mind. Two is the high priestess, which represents the soul nature of you, the divine feminine. She has a headdress with the waxing, waning, and full moon, which represents time and change. And so she's the inner self. Then we have number three, the empress, which is the mother. And of course, as an empress, she's the wife of the emperor. But she represents the concept of the mother in general and the feminine expression in the world, whereas the high priestess is the feminine nature of the soul, although females have a masculine soul nature. That's another discussion. But in the general concept of Tarot, high priestess is the inner self, and the mother is the feminine expressed in the world. The four, number of archetype four is the emperor or the father, the master of creating in the outer world. Remember, 2020 was a four-year, so as the year of the emperor, it suggests that we would be under the influence of emperors that have the power to control the world we live in and that we must take responsibility for the emperor within ourselves and create harmony in our outer world or we will suffer the consequences of being an inferior emperor. And, you know, it's fine to have an emperor in the outer world, but if you don't honor the emperor within yourself, then you're a child. If somebody tells you to do something that's illegal, like many things that have been going on in the last, since this whole pandemic started, then by definition, following that rule, law, or mandate makes you a criminal. Just because someone says you have to do something, if you know it's damaging or dangerous or unlawful to do it, then you get the consequences, and that's the way it rolls in life. Then 2021 was a five-year, the Hierophant, which I talked about, and as I shared previously, I warned everybody when I did my podcast for 2021 to be very, very careful about who you choose as your priest, guru, leader, or teacher. Now, 2021, uh, uh, 2022 is a six-year, which is the archetype of the lovers. Now, a lot of people uh, get, get tricked by that one. Some of you are probably thinking that since 2022, and it's the year of the lovers, it's going to be all love and cuddles and peaches and cream. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? But if you look at the card, it shows a male and female, like husband and wife, standing facing each other, and there is an angel looking down over them. But uh, she represents yin, he represents yang, or she the feminine, he the masculine. And the angel is is the neutral force of wisdom (laughs) that's not um, bound by polarity. Uh, So it's the offering to rise up out of your challenges that love brings. So it does sound beautiful if you are smoking lots of pot and are out of touch with reality or out of touch with the legitimate challenges that love brings in any relationship. 
be it with yourself, a partner or spouse, family members, or those abusing leadership positions, taking bribes and selling their souls, which will continue in 2022, I can assure you. Um, so before we go on, I must share that as a therapist and a coach that has used tarot as part of my healing and coaching practice for many years and spent many years studying and practicing it deeply, pretty much daily with rare exceptions, I can assure you that those whose birth date produces the lover's archetype as their soul and personality path always have a series of great and challenging lessons ahead of them. And my son, Mana, is the lover's archetype. His birth date uh, works out to be a six. And his, uh, his um, soul and personality path uh, is, is a very powerful one. He's, he's a highly intelligent but very sensitive and emotional child. And when he's happy, he's very happy. But when he's in a bad mood, boy, it can require real acts of angelic performance or in tarot number 14 is temperance, which is the angel of temperance. So um, let me just say that my little guy, I love, love him tremendously, but boy, has he grown mommy, daddy, and Penny a lot and nannies, <laughs> but he's beautiful and we all see that. So that pretty much sums up those within the lover's archetype based on tarot system. So those with the lover's archetype are generally here to learn to manage polarity and relationship. Then it's no easy task, as I suspect most of you are well aware, but they make great teachers when they learn their lessons and they're very capable of bringing broken groups of people back into harmony. So let's all hope that there are, are many wise lovers coming to our aid in 2022. And I'm sure there will be. Um, I'd really be interested to find out what Eckhart Tolle's birthday is. I'd love to see what his soul and personality path are. In terror. I might have to look that up. So before we go further into the lover's archetype, we should get it clear on exactly what love is. In, in other words, before we go further into my predictions for 2022, I think we should get clear on what love is. Some of you have heard me talk about this various places and various times, but for those that haven't, or for those of you that have a good reminder, love is the bonding force of the universe and all relationships that range from subatomic particles to atoms to chemical bonds to relationships amongst living beings of any type. So in a nutshell, Love is the bonding force. Love is what holds creation together. You could call it the forces of physics, such as electromagnetism, um, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, etc. Those are all expressions of love, not personal love, but love on a grand scale. I also define love as the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self and or other. Remember, empathic means to feel, compassionate means to understand. So love is the flow of energy and information through feeling and understanding our connection to ourself and others or any other. And that can be a person, place, or thing. You might love your car. So there's, a, there's empathy. And, and if it breaks, there's probably compassion. And there's information flowing between the two of you. You know, you got to know what it's doing. It's it's got sounds, it's got vibrations, it's got ways of talking to you. Um, so there's an example. 
of love from a different perspective. Love is also consciousness. And when I say consciousness, I mean all caps. I mean the empty mirror of zero becoming aware of itself. And whatever's in that mirror is a reflection of the potential that appears to be emptiness, but also holds fullness in its womb. And that is one of the mighty mysteries of God right there. Paradox is you can't know God. So you can have experiences, and that's what I do is try to describe my experiences. But you can't know God because to know God, you got to become God. And to do that, there's nobody there to know that you did it. <laughs> now, in my love model that I've developed, which was originally inspired by Osho, he made a statement, one statement, which then triggered me to meditate on that and expand it and grow it, grow it. So from one statement by Osho, I was able to create a whole system many years ago. And through careful, careful study and observation of how love uh, works in the world, I found there's four stages to love. Osho talked about three. I had to add the fourth stage to complete it, each representing a progressive reduction in polarity as we grow spiritually to become truly wise beings in our use of the powers of love. And I'll, I'll take you through each of these, but the key point is love in its initial stages is highly polarized. But as you grow and mature, it becomes less and less polarized. So I'll build on that for you in a minute. And as I do, I'll share suggestions for getting the most out of 2022. The love model is best envisioned with each of the stages as love, like the quadrants of the circle, uh, or representing the cardinal points on a compass. And each quadrant represents a stage of conscious evolution. And that the other thing, too, is that, you know, our growth and evolution in love or consciousness can be very different in different areas of our lives. You can have someone that's a very enlightened surgeon and very um, loving with his patients, but very unenlightened and not loving with people in his own family or his own children. Um, you can have someone that's very enlightened as an engineer, but they're very unenlightened with their ability to take care of themselves and love themselves. So they might be a, a, you know really in love with their work, but have a lot of personal challenges. So their work can be a way to escape the pain of, of their broken parts. So the key point I'm making is, is that it takes a lot of committed growth to spiritual development to become conscious of how you're using love in all areas of your life. It's something that I've been working on my whole life, and I'll probably be working on it for, uh, you know, at least 150 more lifetimes, if not 150,000, I don't know. God's pretty deep. For example, we can be very involved with our relationship with ourselves, but um, unevolved in our capacity for relationships with others. So a lot of loners can be that way. We can be very evolved in our capacity for loving nature or animals, but unevolved in how we use the power of love in other areas of our life. We can be very evolved with our love of exercise, but unevolved in our relationship with food, drugs, or sex, 
as so many great athletes have clearly demonstrated. So here's the basic model. And for your information, in my upcoming book, I get quite deep into all these issues and go much deeper than I can even begin to in this podcast. So keep your eyes open for my new book, which will also, I'll offer a beginner's guide and a workbook to apply the teachings in the book and an online training and support program, uh, which I'm hoping to have live by between April and June of 2022. So I'm a very busy man. So the model is we begin with sex and violence love. Sex and violence love, remember, all creation is an act of sex. Th- that Without going into a long, detailed explanation, but none of you could be here without an act of sex. Uh, no, no, nothing could reproduce in nature without an act of sex. And, uh, you know, for example, when a north pole of a magnet is attracted to a south pole, that's an act of sex. That's a, a magnetic attraction. So remember, love is the binding force in the universe. So sex and violence love means that there's a lot of polarity happening. It can be violent. And it's some form of creative process. So it's, it's, uh, it's a, you know, I'll give examples as we go, but it's really a beginner stage. And we've all experienced that beginner stage. Then it evolves to conditional love. And conditional love is, is getting clear on what conditions allow you to give and receive love effectively. That evolves to empathetic and compassionate love so that you give yourself permission to feel and to understand and make choices from that place of empathy and compassion as to how to best respond in any given situation. And finally, we evolve to union or unconditional love, which is in Buddhist concept would be nirvana, which means to extinguish or blow out. So you basically extinguish the ego and you die back into source. Um, Now, Rumi says, you are not a drop of the ocean, you are the ocean in a drop. So the ego or the soul self is like a drop of the divine ocean, but when you re-enter unconditional love, the drop now merges back in with the ocean of the unconditional, and there's no way to identify yourself. It would be quite impossible to find a drop that was once out of the ocean once you drop it into the ocean and say, oh, there you are, I've been looking all over for you, because it would be so merged into everything, it would lose its individuality. So let's look at each stage as it relates to 2022 and the lover's archetype. So now I'm sharing my prediction for 2022 based on the fact that it's a six year, which is the lover's archetype. And then I'm going to share how it relates to each of these stages of love. So as I said, sex and violence love is the most polarized. It relates to those who are infants, children, or anyone that is in a beginning stage at learning something. Little kids don't yet understand things like gravity, fire, the danger of glass, or sharp objects like knives, or what a poison is, etc. So just like a child riding a bike for the first time, um, there's a lot of painful experiences of love and joy. And, you know, you can um, watch a sex and violence lover riding a bicycle, i.e. a beginner, and see it teetering from left to right, often right on the very edge of crashing and 
covering both sides of the bike road lane or whatever, or someone that's a beginner at driving wander all over the road. So sex and violence love means there's a level of immaturity, a lack of skill, and somehow someone's beginning something or there's a lot of polarity. And that, again, they may be a a masterful um craftsman or musician but they may really have a hard time on the bike of relationships so we have to look at these things in context but the thing to think about this is where are we wobbling on our bicycle with regard to the issues of today how are we doing it riding the bike of environmental consciousness how are we doing it riding the bike of ethics and morals with the use of technology hmm How are we doing at riding the bike of evolving from antiquated religion that's based on myths that do not interface with our day effectively at all? How are we doing with evolving past patriarchal, male-dominated culture that doesn't give equality to females, respect them, give them fair pay in many instances, and things like that? How are we doing with evolving past the sex and violence love of loving people of different colors, uh, creeds, etc.? I mean, when you look at what's going on in the world, you can see that we're largely, as a humanity, still at a very low level of psychological and spiritual development. We often fall in love with someone, are overwhelmed by their beauty, how sexy they are, But once the sex and the love drunk wears off, we start meeting their programming and we can get to the point where we wonder how it is that we've thought they were so beautiful in the first place and why we're in a relationship with them. And they can easily feel the same. So sex and violence lovers are generally very unconscious as to what they're actually getting into and often see only the surface of things with the eyes of a child. In 2022, we will continue to be faced with some very tough circumstances and decisions regarding what is and isn't true with regard to viruses, medicines, vaccines, laws, mandates, constitutional and basic human rights. Most people in the world are children when it comes to understanding the nature of such issues and are very infantile in their understanding of power structures, political games, and even more childlike in their understanding of the structure and history of medical systems worldwide. I've read many books on the history of the medical system (laughs) and and who's behind it? And boy, I'll tell you, makes you want to make sure you're not in a hospital unless it's absolutely essential that you be there. If you study the books, look at the um, Len Horowitz videos I mentioned earlier, DNA, the Sacred Spiral. That'll give you one whopper of an education on the medical system and the political system and much more. So a lot of people are just not very well versed in history. So they're susceptible to making the same childlike decisions and mistakes that got millions of people in trouble and killed in past generations. This naivete is most obvious among those who actually think the World Health Organization, CDC, FDA, AMA, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and all such government organizations are there to have their best interests at heart and both rely on and trust the information put out by standard media outlets. Um, Well, boy, they're also 
most likely to believe what they're told about those things um, and, and about people that are being censored and defaced and destroyed by the ruling elite for telling the truth. In other words, you know, if they tell you Joe Mercola's a bad guy uh, and you're not very conscious and you're in a sex and violence relationship with life, you're probably likely to believe it because you're still at the child stage. You're overly programmable and gullible. So in a nutshell, sex and violence lovers are the most unconscious in any area that they're inexperienced or unskilled with. Therefore, one of the, one of the greatest gifts I offer all of you today is a basic understanding of what the unconscious is and how it processes information and experience. Once I've introduced you to the unconscious, I will continue with the remaining stages of my love model. But because sex and violence lovers, by definition, are unconscious, they're, they're, they're like children that are in a trance state, it's very, very important to understand what the unconscious mind is and how it works or you will never become conscious enough conscious enough to recognize that you might be 50 years old still acting out a psychological level of development that's really about that of a 12-year-old. And unfortunately, studies in psychology show that about 90% of the world population has only evolved to about the uh, development of a 12-year-old. So we look around, we see all these people in adult bodies driving fancy cars and doing this and doing that. But when you actually look at the choices they make and how they take care of themselves and how they live their life, well, it's pretty obvious. All you got to do is just see who believes anything they see on television and and phones and, and uh, run off to get poisoned or buy junk food or some miracle pill that's just a bunch of garbage. And there you have it. So, what is the unconscious mind? That's the question we're going to answer now. It's very important to remember that based on research, only 3 to 5% of what we think of as our individual consciousness is actually conscious within our ego or our sense of awareness of ourselves and our surroundings. The rest of it is unconscious. So, you could one of the definition of consciousness is the total flow of information in a system. That's Itzhak Bentov's definition. So if you said, okay, what's the total flow of information coming into and out of a human being at any given moment? What research shows is that we're only aware in our mind's eye, our sense of self, you listening to me right now, maybe looking around you at what's going on, you're only aware of 3 to 5% of the total flow of information coming into within and leaving your body. The rest of it is unconscious. For example, there's about 30 billion billion biochemical reactions a second in the human body, and you're not conscious of any of them. They just happen. So there's something that's handled at the level of the unconscious. You're largely unaware of how you're digesting, metabolizing, assimilating, and eliminating foods and drinks you've consumed because of the myriad of processes that are involved are unconscious. It's actually the subconscious that resides in you as the wisdom of your cells and that includes the inflammation, information um, coming to and from your DNA. So the subconscious is the wisdom of your body, your cells, your DNA. 
But the subconscious is part of the unconscious to the degree that you're unaware of what is happening at any given level of your body. For example, you're not consciously regulating your heartbeat or the oxygen and CO2 levels in your blood or the pH of your blood or, or anything else. Now, if you're a yogi that can regulate some of those things, and there are, then you're going to expand the range of your conscious from 3 to 5% to some other range, and that means you're less unconscious, and therefore you have more conscious control. But no yogi can consciously remind themselves to breathe 25,900 times a day. So the unconscious has to take care of a lot in fact, Nassim Harriman said in a lecture that we have the names backward. The conscious should be called the unconscious, and the unconscious should be called the conscious because it's what's doing most of the creating. And most people are unconscious, even though they think they're conscious, but they don't realize they're just acting out programming, which is in the unconscious, and they're not aware of why they're saying and doing the things they're doing until it hurts. And then they go, oh my God, why did I do that? So in our normal waking state, we're uh, generally and almost totally unaware of how our unresolved wounds and judgments of self and others are influencing what we're perceiving and the choices that we're making. Whatever we're incapable of or unwilling to heal and deal with is relegated to the domain of the unconscious. It is important to realize that any unresolved charges or polarities within your unconscious, such as judgments and things like that, can and do affect your subconscious mind. So if you have unresolved sexual trauma or things like that, uh, or unresolved judgments against people, or unresolved phobias and fears in the unconscious, your personal unconscious, they're not walled off from your subconscious, which is the wisdom of your cells. They're actually interacting with it. And that's why... Um, so many diseases are the products of unresolved mental emotional wounds. A neurosis is the symptoms and behaviors that arise from the issues we're unable or unwilling to resolve. And so, according to Jung, who is a very reliable source, a neurosis is an adaptive crisis. So, for example, someone who chews their fingernails or talks incessantly or rattles their keys or constantly picks at their skin or starves themselves or is afraid to go out or have fun or any number of things. Those are all symptoms of a neurosis, um, which just means that there's some unresolved issue that's creating stress for them or inner chaos, but they don't know how to resolve it or what it is quite often. They just are responding to that which is unconscious. And by definition, if it's unconscious, you're not conscious of it. You're just being acted by it. You're the puppet. And it's the puppet master. So let me share Jung's description of what the unconscious is to help you better understand what I mean uh, when I say the majority of our consciousness is within the realm of the unconscious. Now, some of the information I share here comes from a paper titled Jung's Model of the Psyche and Modern Science, Information Theory and the Spectrum of the Psyche by Shelley 
Renee Joy. That's S-H-E-L-L-I-R-E-N-E-E-J-O-Y-E. And in the show notes, I'll give you the um, rest of the reference, which is actually not a published paper. It's an advanced uh, seminar that she attended. So there's five varieties of the unconscious in the Jungian model. Early in his work, Jung had come to identify and work with the unconscious, contrasting it with the conscious. So upon closer examination of his model of the unconscious, we find that Jung further subdivides his model into five distinct regions or states of the unconscious, which he describes as following. One, everything of which I know, but which I am not at the moment thinking. Okay, so you know possibly several people's phone numbers, but if you're busy driving your car and you're not thinking about it, those phone numbers reside in your unconscious. Everything you have forgotten is the next. So everything you once knew but have forgotten. Someone like me, you know, I've been studying so much for so long, I probably forgot as much as I remember. But the truth is, you haven't forgotten it. It's in your unconscious. And I can tell you how that's been proven. They put people under hypnosis and they ask them all sorts of things that before they were under hypnosis, they were sure they had forgotten and they can recall them quite easily when they're in hypnosis. Why? Because when you're in hypnosis, you're more you know, engaged in the unconscious. You're in hypnosis. You're in a trance state. So your conscious is, shall we say, um, subdued. Number three, everything perceived by my senses but not noted by my conscious mind. So for example, you may be wearing a wool sweater. When you first put it on, you notice, wow, this thing's a bit itchy. But as you get busy, you forget all about it. You may have an uncomfortable uh, part of your shoe and you think, geez, I got to get rid of these shoes or get them fixed. But once you start getting busy or doing other things, you forget that that's hurting your foot until you go to take your shoes off and you got a big blister on your foot. Okay. Next is everything which involuntarily and without paying attention to it, I feel, think, remember, want, and do. So you may be, uh, you know, working in your yard and you're not really paying attention to the back chatter in your mind, but you might be thinking things like, I got to remember to uh, get feed the dog. Uh, I got to remember to pick Sally up at school in a half an hour. And, you know, but really, meanwhile, you're, you know, controlling your axe or your weed whacker or your shovel. So those processes are technically going on in your unconscious. Next is all the future things that are taking shape in you or me that will sometime come to consciousness. So, see, I do a lot of contemplative meditation. I ask big questions like, what is God? And, you know, all sorts of these questions. Sometimes I meditate on them for years. So, those things are taking shape in me. And all of a sudden, boom, one day I'm, you know, in the gym exercising or something and bang, I get hit by a lightning bolt. And there's the answer to a question I've been pondering and meditating on for a year, two, three, four, five years. Unfortunately, I have lots of notebooks where I write all these things down so I can go back and say, okay, that was my systematic approach to this. This is 
how I can see how I left that in my unconscious and now I know what to do with it. An example may be that someone you share a relationship with tends to irritate you, but you avoid dealing with it directly. Eventually, the issue raises to your consciousness and and the accumulated effect of all this unconscious fermentation is often a heated battle of some sort or often a heated battle that has long-term consequences. So I'm, I'm talking about things that, you know, are shaping up in you that will sometimes rise to the consciousness. I first gave you the contemplative meditation, a positive expression of that. But you may have somebody, for example, that irritates you and you kind of bite your tongue and whatever and you, you just avoid conflict. But eventually what happens is all that keeps brewing in the unconscious and fermenting and it's building pressure until boom, it comes out and then it's conscious for everybody. It could also be that you're in love with someone but afraid to tell them. So eventually the pressure in the unconscious builds and all of a sudden you tell them that you love them, but it may or may not be the right time. The pressure in the unconscious can lead to the right things being shared at the wrong time. This is one of the reasons shadow work, daily healing practices, prayer, clearing, um, you know, there's a number of things. But in 2022, we're going to need to practice all this stuff because the world is going to be changing, I suspect, so fast right in front of us with losses of constitutional rights, with people trying to force us into basically situations where we're, we're unable to meet our basic needs. If we don't have some kind of vaccine passport, they're going to try to squeeze that into legislation. I mean, what they've already done to the justice system is shocking. It's just unbelievable. So, you know, I'm saying you can really live a great life in 2022, just like you can any year. A lot of people lived a great life even during world wars, and we're in one right now. It's just an electronic war. But it requires that you understand how to work with your unconscious For example, if you keep feeling anxious about something, but you don't know what it is, that's when you sit down and breathe through your belly and relax and just really drop inside yourself and connect to your heart and empty yourself and say, what is it that we're so afraid of? And you you may get this feeling or this intuition that it's, I'm afraid of what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know the world anymore. So then you can remind yourself that you're okay. You have the time to meditate, have access to food, water, safety, shelter, warmth, and love. So there's no reason to feel anxious and amplify the stress beyond just being aware and saying, what's the best thing for me to do right now? What can I do that's you know, supportive of me and others that are in my life that might feel the same way? So these five regions of the unconscious could be re-characterized or restated. If I'm going to say the same thing, just in different words. One, information stored in the human brain, known but currently out of mind, such as long and short-term memory. Information lost and seemingly irretrievable or forgotten, but I said hypnosis will go get that. It's not lost. Information filtered out by the unconscious algorithms, such as instinctual filters, inherited or habituated or programmed censorship, such as biases, 
Religion gives you lots of those if you're not careful. Next is noise, mental chatter, random thoughts, ideas, and memories that may bubble up later as something. And finally, information still subliminal, undergoing undergoing um, development, growth, and gaining energy, dimly apprehended, possibly eventually to emerge into consciousness, which can be, like I said, trying to solve a problem that you can't solve quickly, but you have to kind of digest it for a while. It's clear that all regions, with the exception of number two, and number two is what you think you've forgotten, information lost and seemingly irretrievable, are dynamic and somewhat out of our conscious contact and control, although we have learned to modify them in various ways through a wide spectrum of conscious psychophysical practices, including mind-altering substances. The mind-altering substances Shelley Joy is referring to are plant medicines, as we call them today. They were called psychedelics. Now they're called plant medicines, which is just a little more modern term. Plant medicines should not be used in unskilled recreational ways because they decrease the ego's capacity to limit the flow of information in the unconscious from rising up into the conscious. Now, you might wonder, why would I want to do that? It seems like the more conscious I am, the better. The reality is most people have unresolved trauma held in their unconscious and without skilled guidance, plant medicines can put you into states that many cannot handle and may cause serious regression that debilitates your functionality in life. Examples are reliving unhealed traumas such as sexual traumas, emotional traumas, mental traumas, birth traumas, painful repressed memories, or past life trauma that is unresolved. And I've seen many such issues emerge from people. These issues are very real, and I've had to help a long string of people that use plant medicines inappropriately heal from such unconscious upheavals. Sometimes, once you uncap the wellspring of the unconscious mind, it's not easy to get the cap back on. And one of the main things that I've seen happen is people think it's like a sport, like the more you can lift, the better you can do. And so they go from one ayahuasca ceremony to a DMT ceremony, then they're doing acid, and Next thing you know, they're having a profound schizophrenic experience, or they can't tell what's real anymore, or they go into a state of derealization, which is like a hypnotic trance, and many other types of things, but I've seen some lives completely and utterly ruined, and I've had people travel a long ways to get my help when nobody else could help them. Fortunately, I've been able to help every one of them, <laughs> partly because in my own deep research on these plant medicines, I took myself into psychosis which each, with each different medicine and mapped it each step of the way in notebooks and, and basically developed a map of the terrain of the levels of consciousness. So when they come to me, I go, ah, you're at what I would call my level seven. <laughs> There's goblins there. I'm going to have to help you get down to a six, then a five, then a four, then a three, then a two, then a one and to ground level. So this is very important what I'm about to share because very few people are aware of this and boy, does it help to be aware of this. People talk about the unconscious all the time, but they hardly ever tell you how the damn thing works. I just told you what it is. Now I'm going to explain how the unconscious works with the conscious mind to process information and experiences 
that are likely to be the most challenging for those that are in sex and violence love um, at that level of development to process effectively. So what I'm saying is once I show you how this thing works, people at sex and violence love level where there's a lot of polarity are less likely to be able to um, interact with their unconscious effectively because they're not able to get themselves disentangled from it. Okay. So, and this is a real issue in highly polarized environments like our socio-political environment is today. This is information that's essential to uh, understand for anyone wanting to grow in both their capacity to give and receive love, become a more conscious human being, and not let their mind overrun them with fear in times like we're going through right now. So here's how I'm going to describe how the unconscious works for you. I'm going to give you a scenario that'll hit right home, and we're going to have the conscious situation and then the unconscious situation. So to begin with, you have a perception, such as we're all being attacked by a virus. The unconscious produces the opposite. So the unconscious will say things like, oh my God, it can't be true. This couldn't happen. We've got too many um, medical standards in place. We've got good hygiene. You know, all sorts of things will start going around in you. And that will lead to the conscious situation, which is the perception we're under attack by the virus, plus its opposite that can't be true, which will bring you into a state of conscious conflict. That is relegated then to the unconscious which produces its opposite, which is some kind of a resolution. Now, that's where real thinking has to take place. If you're infantile or childish, you will let the resolution be whatever is told to you from some authority figure or false hierophant. Okay? Now, once you get the resolution and it becomes conscious, that's the third step of this of these stages, then at the level of the unconscious, you have its opposite. So you're in conflict inside yourself to the degree that you do not see evidence that your resolution is actually correct or have enough depth of knowledge to trust your own resolution. And then the fourth step is that you go back to step one, which means a perception. So you see the conscious is in this sort of volleyball match with the unconscious. But again, the more that is shocking, scary, scary or um, overwhelming to you, the less likely you are to engage the dragon and therefore it gets relegated to the unconscious, which is why it's so important to not sweep stuff under the rug and to deal with things that are real in your life when they're real in your life. And I can tell you from my own experience, I've paid dearly. Uh, there was a time when I knew there was people working in the Institute that I needed to fire because they were causing lots of problems and costing me a lot of money, but several of them were my friends, and I just was too tired and too heartbroken to believe that these people would be doing that, but I did a lot of investigative work 
and the evidence was undeniable. So I waited three years before I finally got the sword out. And then the business transformed overnight, and I kicked myself for waiting three years. So there's an example in my own life where I had a conscious perception, but its opposite produced conflict. The conscious perception was people are abusing their relationship with me, and its opposite was these people love me, they wouldn't do that. Then I had the perception these people are abusing me, they wouldn't do that. It put me into conflict because the evidence kept coming in, and then I had to sit with the resolution, and the resolution was I have to let these people go, and then the opposite is the conflict. Now, in this case, the conflict was how do I fill those positions and the angst of going through the stress of having to train people. And so I was back to step one, but this time it was a new awakening, and that is, wow, I'm glad I did that. I shouldn't have waited so long. And so then we go back into the next thing. It's opposite. Well, it's opposite could be that I've got new people, but they're not nearly so skilled, so now I have to do a lot of you know hand-holding, or the senior staff does, or Penny does. But anyhow, I'm hoping you're getting this process. The conscious perception is always relegated to the unconscious, and because most of us aren't willing to look at the opposite, then we look at it from the inside, and if we're not <laughs> ready to deal with the truth that our soul is giving us, then we will develop a neurosis. We will end up having symptoms, which could be digestive and eliminative disorders, uh, elevated respiratory rate, um, fearful thinking, ADD behavior, always thinking that you're under attack, not realizing that the attack that you're under is the demon that you've relegated into the basement that you don't want to deal with. So, a review. You have a perception, an attack by a virus. It's opposite. It couldn't be happening. Then you have a conscious perception coupled with its opposite from the unconscious, which brings you into conflict, and then you have to work with your unconscious to get a resolution. If you don't, then your body will tell you about the state of affairs of your lack of management. Whatever your resolution is, conscious or unconscious, it'll produce this opposite. You could be someone saying, I'm a doctor and I know what's good for you. But on the inside, you realize you're lying to people because you're sick and unhealthy and confused yourself. So you go into the unconscious and you have conflict. And that's one of the reasons we have, for example, a lot of doctors that have drug addictions because that's how they deal with their unresolved conflict. Like, why am I doing things to people that I know don't work? Because I've never seen them work other than symptom manipulation. Okay, so there's a lot of ways you can work out this whole scenario. But this is how the unconscious works. This is how the unconscious maintains a relationship with the conscious, and this is exactly why Jung and Bohm both said real thinking is hard work. That's why most people just rearrange their prejudices and call it thinking. Said another way, real thinking takes presence. Real thinking requires thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuiting. And if you're not willing to do that, then you will tell yourself stories to justify 
whatever position seems to be the path of least resistance or greatest reward, even if it's unethical and immoral. Thus, the saying, it's hard to change a person's belief system when their paycheck depends on it. And there you go. That, if it's all you get out of this podcast, I would highly recommend you get a pencil out or a pen and write it down. Four steps. Step one, a conscious perception. Unconscious, it's opposite. Step two, a perception plus its opposite brings you into conflict. It's unconscious resolution is its opposite. So it's either resolved or you have an opposite. Next, you have a resolution and then you have to deal with its opposite, which brings you back into conflict. And then you go back to step one, unless you break the cycle by really coming to a place of assuredness that your decision is the right one because you have done the work to investigate both sides of any opinion or argument and you've used the four functions of consciousness and you're at peace. And then if you find out that you're wrong later on, it's okay because you have the assurance that you did the work and you did the best you could do and now you have a legitimate growth experience. But if someone offers you a legitimate growth experience and you haven't done the work, you will still be in a place of some kind of conflict, which means high stress and the ability, the inability to take on new concepts, ideas, beliefs, or behaviors, which is one of the reasons keeping people freaked out and stressed out all the time is essential to a brainwashing program because ultimately what you got to do is scare them enough that they think they have to do what they're told or they're not going to be able to eat or live or make love or have freedom again, etc. So the people that are using these technologies know how to keep you trapped in unconscious conflict with yourself and also conscious conflict so that they can just put a carrot in front of your face and you'll follow like a sheep. It's classic programming. And if you really want to see a great example of how it's done on a large scale, watch the documentary that is the overview of Naomi Klein's book, The Shock Doctrine. And uh, trust me, it's very vivid. Hi, everybody. I've looked into magnesium supplements in my many years as a therapist and found, unfortunately, most of them are junk until the day Wade Lightheart handed me his magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, which is a very, very specialized product that they did a lot of research on. Wade, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about what makes magnesium breakthrough so unique and so potent. Well, number one is that we realized that different types of magnesium are absorbed by different parts of the body. So we tested virtually every magnesium product there was on the market, and it came down to seven different ones that produced the best aspects or best effects over the broadest amount of people. We combine them without any weird excipients or, you know, some of the chemical agents that other companies use. We don't use any of that stuff. And we combined it with humic and fulvic acid as well as B6 to make sure that it's absorbed and utilized by the body. That's excellent. I really love it because one of the things I love about all your products is I can actually turn people onto them. They buy them. And I've never had a single person say to me, those products don't work. Everybody that I know has continued to buy Bioptimizer's products to enhance their life. Where can people get it and what's their discount? Just go to www.magbreakthrough.com.
dot com slash living 40 and put in your coupon code Paul 10 and you get a 10% discount. And of course, everything has a hundred percent money back guarantee. You can't get better than that. Enjoy. To reiterate, what is critical to understand here is that whatever we do not resolve consciously is relegated back to the unconscious. Thoughts, feelings, emotions, and, adjud- and judgments buried alive or not addressed in an adult manner or with a skilled therapist never die. They act as magnetic forces drawing people and circumstances to you that are necessary to bring such wounds into your conscious awareness, awareness for your own healing and conscious evolution. Said another way, the pain teacher will keep coming back until you do your healing work. This is exactly why so many people go through a divorce without healing the issues involved and end up in another relationship only to experience the same challenges with yet another person. And eventually one has to realize that the only common denominator is themselves. So you hear things like, there's no good men in the world, or there's no women that don't drive me nuts. Well, <laughs> Yes, there is. Um, so I think you get it. Hopefully you get it. And I'm sure if you're paying attention, you'll find exactly within yourself where this issue I've just described is alive and at play. And if you don't think you have any of these issues, I have a question for you. What drugs are you on? What diagnoses do you have? Anxiety? Depression? Nervousness? Irritable bowel syndrome? Autoimmune disorder? Dot, dot, dot. Those are often the neurosis that comes from not dealing with your own powers of mind effectively. And 2022 is not a good year to avoid holding still and working with all four functions of consciousness, thinking, feeling, sensation, and intuition. Because, boys and girls, it could get bumpy. It could get bumpy. Bumpier. These people behind this, they're ruthless. They have no empathy, little compassion, if any. Look around you. Hello. Wake up. Look around. Smell the coffee. (laughs) Go to the resources I've left in many of my videos. Look for real hierophants. Talk to real scientists. Talk to real doctors. Listen to what Peter McCullough is saying. Pay attention. Okay, if we don't do our healing work, it's Groundhog Day, period. We'll invite more and more domination and control from leaders that reflect broken and unhealed parts of ourselves, both individually and collectively, because we will attract our problems to us until we do the work, just like people will keep marrying the same kind of abusers. The warlords know this, and that's one of the reasons if you pay attention, you'll see them repeatedly inflicting fear and trauma. As I said, they know you will keep remarrying them again. Sad but true. As seen through the eyes of a therapist, I've seen people go back for multiple, multiple surgeries, five, six surgeries. And when I ask them, at what point did you begin to lose faith that what your doctor was telling you or doing was true. And most often, it's after the first surgery or 
before the first surgery. Then why'd you do it? Because everybody else told me I should, or that's what I've always thought you're supposed to do, but they didn't listen to their soul, their inner voice, their intuition, their sense of inner guidance. That's called externalizing the self. When you don't listen to the wisdom within you, to your body, your subconscious mind, to your unconscious processes, which you have to pay attention to and bring them up into consciousness, then you are a child and you have to suffer the bicycle ride of the child or the roller skating ride of the child who's um, got skinned up knees and elbows and maybe a concussion. Now, for those of you that are ready for an adult exploration of your unconscious as it relates to the issues of today, then you can take the word virus out of the formula and put CDC, WHO, FDA, or any such organization in the formula and see where it takes you. If you don't do the work to process the unconscious injuries inflicted by such organizations, the simple answer is that you will take, um, you know, it'll take you, your own personal version of your collective unconscious or the collective version of it straight to hell. And hell is something we create through ignorance, fear, lack of willingness, and um, programming and not being responsible for our incredible powers of mind and creativity. And challenging times are always great times to be creative, but you need to center yourself to see things from above so you can see the big picture, so you can say, okay, <laughs> based on 2019, 2020, 2021, uh, what's continuing? What's getting better? What's getting worse? Look around the country. Look at Australia. Look at New Zealand. Look at Canada. Look at Germany. Look at Amsterdam or um, uh, Austria. Um you know, and notice things are changing and a lot of people are starting to get pissed off and when people start getting pissed off and they feel abused, violence starts to happen. But in this case, it's very dangerous because that's exactly what they want out of us so they can impose martial law and then force everyone into their little game or you got to go hide in a cave somewhere so, hope you're paying attention. Now, if you're not paying attention, uh, meaning as a person, or you don't think what I'm saying is true, then just look at the stats on how many people are rushing off to get jabs and boosters, all the while not a single person has ever seen one shred of physical evidence of any of these viruses in existence other than propaganda Images on television screens, which are easily created. Remember what Hollywood can do. Well, these people own Hollywood. And at this point, there's been at least two court cases I know of that were utterly thrown out of case because the person who was being abused by mandates or police demanded physical evidence of the virus, and no court can produce it. Nobody can. 
Okay? And if they do have it, they're keeping it very secret. So, pay close attention. As they taught us in the 82nd Airborne Division every day, stay alert and stay alive. And for good reason. So, as you can see, sex and violence love is a dangerous state of love to stay in for very long, and it always requires skilled parent figures to navigate or injuries and deaths will happen. Now, if you understand what I mean by that, I'll take parent figures out. It always requires skilled hierophants. The more challenging the environment is, the more you need to seek wise guidance from people that are grounded in the physical, in touch with the emotional, have access to an effective use of the mental, but also have a spiritual perspective and can see beyond it all. A good example of that is my podcast with uh, Tai Chi and Qigong master Roger Junka. If you want to see what it looks like to talk to a man who's spiritually grounded about these things, listen to what Roger Junka has to say. Another one is Jeffrey Armstrong, author of The Bhagavad Gita Comes Alive. Phenomenal podcast. Here's an example of a man who's alive at all levels of consciousness but can actually see the battle, enjoy the battle, isn't afraid of death, can contribute, but also not lose himself in it. And there is another good example of a hierophant. That's the kind of people I'm interested in engaging with in my life. Next, we come to conditional love. We enter conditional love when we are aware of what conditions are necessary for us to feel safe giving and receiving love. Conditional love appears whenever we hear hear words like, I love you if you do such and such. I love you when you do such and such. I love you and, which means there's a qualifier coming, a condition, or I love you but. Whenever someone uses the word but, it technically means forget everything I said up to now. I love you but, and pay attention to what I'm about to say after the but. Those are all clear indicators that conditional love is being used. I love you, but you better get your mask on. I love you, but you better get your um, booster, dot, dot, dot. So all contractual agreements of any type, from the use of your iPhone to a rental car, home, employment contracts are all in the domain of conditional love. That is how we state how we feel loved, and what is unloving, and what is likely to get you into a court case, things like that. Sex and violence loving is the child stage of love awareness, and conditional love is really the teenager maturing into adult awareness. You're just figuring out what does and doesn't work for you, and the next step is to be brave enough to communicate your wants, feelings, and needs clearly. So when someone says, I love you, but you can't come see me anymore until you get your jab, then I would say something like, I'm really wanting to be able to share love with you too, mom. And I'm really happy that you're doing what you feel is safe for you. And I would feel much better if you would honor my choices as an adult and honor the fact that I have done my research and I'm willing to accept the consequences of my choice. So if there's a way that 
we can stay connected at the heart, but leave room for each of us to be an individual and do what's important to us, then that would really be great. So there's an example of how you can deal in wants, feelings, and needs, stay connected, avoid dropping into sex and violence love, and even have empathy and compassion for that person. Now, here's an example of what applying conditional love in today's environment of medical tyranny looks like. So I just created this scenario for you. A client or patient goes to the doctor. The doctor says, you need to take this vaccination. The patient says, what are the ingredients? Doctor says, nobody knows. It's a trade secret. Patient says, let me see the insert that comes with the vial. Doctor, okay. The doctor hands the insert to the patient who unfolds it only to find that it's completely blank. Patient, I can't trust that this vaccination is less of a risk than what you're vaccinating me for, so I'll hold off until I can get more information from a reliable source. Doctor, no, you need to trust me. I'm your doctor. Patient, that's exactly what doctors have said to thousands of people that have ended up badly injured and dead since this whole pandemic began. Doctor, I'm your doctor. You should trust me. It's my job to have your best interests at heart. Patient, how can I trust you when you've probably vaccinated thousands of people and you still don't even have a clue what you're putting into their bodies? Doctor, I trust what the authorities tell me. (laughs) Patient, I trust you will understand when I tell you that it's time for me to find a doctor that isn't so gullible and I encourage you to be a better doctor for your family than you have been for me before something terrible happens because of your childlike trust and authority. So what I'm showing you is a classic um, interaction based on conditional love. Now, if you got irritated by the doctor and you just finally said to the doctor, you're a goddamn idiot, and you walked out the door and slammed it, that would be dropping into sex and violence love. If you want to handle a doctor like that with empathetic and compassionate loving, you could say, wow, it must be really scary for you to be in a situation where everything that you've been taught is under so much scrutiny and so many people are getting injured and dying because you're following the procedures that you were taught to use to help people. That must be scary for you. Now, that would probably leave your doctor sitting there a bit dumbfounded, but that would be an application of empathetic and compassionate love. Okay, so now let's look at empathetic and compassionate love. Empathetic and compassionate loving is adult love. You have to be mature enough to uh, understand that. It is the most challenging to give because whenever you give empathetic and compassionate love to sex and violence lover, their tendency is to walk all over you and abuse you. I learned this the hard way myself, being raised by, uh, being raised with a brother that was a drug addict from the seventh grade onward, who ultimately committed suicide at age 34. How I learned it was he kept coming to me begging for money and would have all sorts of elaborate stories. You know, I won't bore you with them all, but... And I gave in, and the whole family did. But we all realized every time we gave him money, within short order, he was drugging it up again and causing trouble. So I had to learn to create conditions, such as I wouldn't give him money, but I would buy him food. 
um, things like that. I could go on and on. Anyone that's had a drug addict in the family has learned probably the hard way. You can't give empathy and compassion to a sex and violence lover. You have to create conditions that support their awakening. Now, the empathetic and compassionate lover can see most anybody within themselves. They've lived long enough to see the behaviors, fears, and biases in others that they have effectively processed and healed, so they naturally have empathy and compassion for such people. We always remember that as we transcend, or what I should say, we, we must always remember that as we transcend each stage of love consciousness, we must also include the previous stage. So you can't jump up to empathy and compassion and just stay there and say, I'm a Buddha sitting on a lotus flower and I will never, ever be in sex and violence love unless you're just a, a fool. So, for example, if an empathetic and compassionate lover is getting mugged and all they do is stand there trying to give empathy, chances are good they might end up dead. Instead, if they ask the mugger, what is their unmet need? And the mugger says, I need money, I'm starving. And you respond with, how about I give you enough money to feed your family or feed yourself for a few meals and a few great ones at that. And you let me go home so I can take care of my children. Now, you may or may not get a positive response, but this is the effective uh, uh, application of empathetic and 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 or conditional love. You're having empathy by just not, you know, you get someone like Kyle Kingsbury that's an ex-professional cage fighter who gets attacked in the alley, even with the person who's got a knife or a gun, he might be empathetic and compassionate. So how about you put that knife down while you're still alive? (laughs) And... I'll give you some money so you can go eat, but then I want you to get out of here so I can go home to my kids. And if somebody like that responds violently, well, then Kyle will certainly resort to the use of his martial arts skills and create a situation where he does his best to minimally harm that person, but also make sure that that person is probably tied up and set on a street corner while the cops come get them so that other people don't have to risk something terrible happening to them. Now, if you don't get a positive response and they start getting violent, for example, they say, screw you, I don't give a shit about your kids, I want all your money or I'm going to hurt you, then you better drop to sex and violence love and reach for your pepper spray or use your self-defense skills Um, Because if you just give in, you can rest assured they'll be back. And that's well known. People that walk the same streets in areas where there's muggers. I've known of multiple people that have been mugged (laughs) more time than once. You'd think they'd learn. Uh, But sometimes it's not that easy depending on where you live. So there's a real lesson. Empathetic and compassionate love cannot be given effectively to sex and violence lovers except by way of creating conditions that help them. And that takes a lot of skill and a lot of knowledge. The final step in the love model is unconditional love. It's the stage of our conscious development um, at which we begin to have reunion experiences with source or unconditional love itself. So in the right amount of time, with the right practices, and with living with an open heart, we begin to have experiences of mystical union or experiences of oneness with the universe. 
these experiences um, in which we are aware that we are one with the whole are still dualistic because we're aware. And I've had many of these experiences, <laughs> every one of them shocking and amazing. So they're not truly unconditional love experiences because remember, to be aware of something is a condition. I'm aware uh, that I'm talking to you right now or I'm aware of the temperature in the room. Those are conditions. The next stage is having non-dual experience where there is no longer an I-thou. In other words, you've transcended duality or two into mind and you're not even at one anymore because there's nothing there to experience. Remember, one by itself is pure subject. So uh, the closest you can say to what you're experiencing is pure unadulterated awareness. There's nothing to say and nothing to know. There's nowhere to go or anyone to be or any place to be. And that's the nature of unconditional love or source. You can't stay there very long if you want to live because life requires the experience of our own mind and love, both of which require an individual sense of self or an I, or you can have no I-thou. I can't say I love you if there's not another there to love. So um, if you're in a non-dual state of awareness, there is no awareness that there's the capacity for giving and receiving love. Now, 2022 being within the lover's archetype guarantees that this year more than any other year that isn't within the lover's archetype, that we're going to come face-to-face with polarity that we carry in relationship to self, others, in the world, that we will continue to experience the kind of love our political leaders express towards us, which naturally will mirror their own psychological development, and that alone could should concern you. And you can tell who's really a politician, like someone like Rand Paul, who's really asking some tough questions and putting Fauci on the hot seat. And then you got Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's highly evolved. Thank freaking God that man is alive. He's doing more than anybody that I've ever seen out there, hands down. And there's more that I'll mention later. You'll never be able to love others better than you can love yourself. So in 2022, it's wise to invest your time in looking deeply into your unconscious. And I suggest that we all do that in uh, 2022. Um, I suggested people do that in 2020 because that was the year of the mirror. And I have a good overview of how to begin working with your unconscious and doing shadow work in my solo podcast that's episode number 164 called Creating Real Health And I share some great resources all of you can use to begin doing your own shadow work for for just the price of a book or two. Um, You don't need to go see a fancy-dancy therapist. If you do the work on your own and you still need help, then you know you need the help of a therapist. But most of these things aren't expensive. They just require a willingness to grow up and improve your life. You can't buy pills that'll do this for you. It's essential that we practice spirituality, being conscious and working with the government of self to learn how to effectively manage uh, or how to effectively engage love and government within the scope of our own personal relationships. Being governance, meaning, you know, governance, you got to manage relationships. So first we got to manage the relationship with ourselves, be our own governor. Then we got to manage our 
our relationships with family and friends. And from there, we extend these skills and levels of awareness to our society, our nation, and our culture. And that's how lasting changes are made. But most people just wait for Jesus to come back. Well, Jesus is smarter than that. (laughs) I don't think he's in a rush to come back and get crucified by the same people that he was trying to help last time. And many other great sages and gurus went the same way. They're probably off in another dimension where people aren't so violent. (laughs) So what I've just shared is essential knowledge in a six-year or a lover's year. You can use these skills and those of many of the great spiritual teachers in the world today to increase the likelihood of getting through this year without losing yourself or your sanity in the process. And, and, you know, I'm going to share some predictions from some very wise people for 2022. And I reach down to them because I trust them. And that's part of being smart, knowing who has information that's useful to you. So I went to two of the hierophants that I know have been very reliable in my life. But anyhow, you can use these skills to have empathy for the psychopaths implementing tyranny worldwide. If you have empathy for them, you will see that most of them came from traumatic childhoods. I've looked into this. Pretty much every single one I looked at came from a very weird, contorted, unhealthy family situation. And there's many psychologists that have done analysis on people like Bill Gates, and <laughs> it tells a pretty interesting picture. I can't even imagine what poor little Fauci childhood was like. They're unconscious of the fact that they are parenting the world exactly as they were parented. And forcing the very viewpoints viewpoints their parents had programmed into them onto us because they're unconscious of the fact that they're wounded. It's well known that children that were abused as children become parents that abuse their children. I mean, there's just mountains of evidence of that. Financial success is often a great distraction to one's healing because people get delusions and they think they're healed and they're powerful. And so next thing you know they're forcing mandates on us and you know trying to turn us all into profit centers which is why i recommended earlier you study dr len horowitz's video dna pirates of the sacred spiral on youtube and uh, you'll see exactly what i mean and right in some one of his pictures there when he's talking about eugenics there's a picture of bill gates senior one of the key players in the eugenics movement so shows you right where the programming came from so it's it's sad really okay so now we're coming toward the end of my boot camp for lovers <laughs> and we're going to tail off with predictions for 2022 as i mentioned in the beginning We're going to begin with predictions by Vedic astrologer Ernst Wilhelm. And I want to tell you a little bit about why I chose him. Years and years ago, probably uh, about 1992 or something like that, I was dealing with a variety of different tough patients with weird diseases, autoimmune diseases, lots of different types of cancer, things like that. And I occasionally would have a patient that just wasn't responding to any of the approaches that normally had worked in my experience. And had having studied uh, medical astrology, I also 
had also been exploring Western and Vedic astrology. And um, I always found Western astrology was just off. It just like didn't ever sound like me when I got readings done. It was like they were reading somebody else. And so without a long story, I investigated the difference between Western astrology and Vedic astrology, and, and it became obvious that I needed to go see a Vedic astrologer. And I did some research and found that right in my hometown was a very famous one named Ernst Wilhelm, who was also a medical astrologer. So I had him do a reading on me, and it was so accurate. It was like somebody was like looking into my soul. It was, it was kind of almost eerie how accurate it was. And um, it was interesting, too, because in the Vedic system, I'm a Leo. In the Western system, I'm a Virgo. And as a kid, I once told my mother, don't call me Paul anymore. My name's Lion. I want to be called Lion from now on. And lo and behold, in the Vedic system, I am a Lion, the Leo constellation. So I began... um, referring clients that I thought had some other forces acting upon them because they weren't responding to Ernst Wilhelm. And I'll tell you what, his predictions were like trippy. I remember once I was treating a woman who had a serious case of cancer and nothing was working. And I had her go to Ernst for a reading and he gave me a copy of the reading with her permission. And it explained you know, all the the houses and the stars and the astrological influences. But he said to me, you know, he explained it in astrological language, which I'm not an expert at, but he said, he pointed to her chart and and said, you know, these, these forces here are antagonistic to her healing. But in three months, this is going to move into a different house and the relationships will be favorable. I predict she'll start healing in three months. And I'll tell you what, it was like clockwork. Three months almost to the day, all of a sudden she began reporting that this symptom was going away, that her skin was better, her digestion was better, blah, blah, blah. And and exactly within the span that he suggested, she healed. And so having had these real live experiences and and then read a number of books on the foundations of astrology and even looked into Steiner's system called uh, Anthroposophy, no, it's Astrosophy is Steiner's system, um, I became aware that, you know, the pop culture astrology is very fluffy and silly but a skilled astrologer is is worth their weight in gold, which is why many kings, emperors, queens have always used astrologers to guide them. And that's <clears throat> well borne out in history if you study it. So I asked Ernst for a reading, and I'm going to let you know now that these next two readings are very adult. So if you're looking for pie in the sky, by now you'd I've lost you by now anyhow. Um, but if you want to get a real good read on what some of the wisest people I know have to say about what 2022 boot camp for lovers is bringing us, here you go. This is what Ernst shared with me. The next solar eclipse on April 30th, 2022 is a responsibility eclipse. That's what he calls it. It's about finding a source or responsibility to rely on. This will have a different effect on different countries. 
In the U.S., the eclipse is falling in the eighth house, which means expectations upon the government and healthcare industry are to be responsible for our well-being will dramatically fail. So what he's saying is it means that our own expectations on the healthcare industry to be responsible for our well-being will dramatically fail, and that will be the great heads up, the great awakening to the fact that it's time for more personal responsibility, which is exactly what my Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1 online course is for. It teaches you everything that you need to know to do the things that everyone's got to do to be healthy, and it's very well done, and thousands of people have taken it. We've got tons of excellent comments from people. It's taught by myself and my wife, Angie Check. Ernst continues, the entire COVID crisis is the results of generations of people relying on largely ignorant authorities for their health care and so on. Responsibility needs to be shifted to a working authority. I'll let you decide what the working authority is. I'll give you a hint. Stand in the mirror. Or people that have a good track record of really caring for people and doing what's right, like Dr. McCullough, Joe Mercola, Kelly Brogan, um, uh, Zach Bush, people like that. He continues, the eclipse is likely to cause more and more people to realize that the current authorities, the government and CDC, medical doctors, etc., are unable to manage COVID and that they have to look elsewhere. There has always been a percentage thinking this way, but I think this eclipse will cause this to be a mainstream idea. And of course, part of the majority of people realizing that they can't rely on the vaccine as they have been told by authorities in this solution. In other countries, the eclipse can fall in different houses, but it will always have to do with responsibility issues. For those who are getting transited by this eclipse on a personal level, it would mean a time of reorganizing, or excuse me, a time of recognizing what responsibilities they need to take, who they are responsible for, and who do they need to be responsible for? Do they need to be more responsible for themselves or someone else? The events in such people's lives may be very difficult at this time, but will help them answer these questions. In other words, he's saying the challenges we'll face will help us process our unconscious and come to a resolution. He continues, I wish I could say that the April 30th, 2022 eclipse is going to make the uh, government grow a brain, but I don't think it will. Following that, uh, following that is a lunar eclipse around midnight May 15th, 2022 U.S. time. Ernst says, I don't like this eclipse because the sun, moon, and Saturn are all on angles from each other, which often is a combination of doing everything in a way that is not going to work, okay? So he says when these sun, moon, and Saturn are on unusual angles, that it produces situations in which things are not going to work. He says, in fact, and the old wise astrologers say that such alignments make for idiocity or idiocy, um, makes people go loony. Um, but he's talking about people in control <laughs> of the government. 
So I think the governments worldwide are going to make more and more attempts to manage things in non-working ways, and it will only convince more people that they have to take more personal responsibility for their health and finances. Finally, I think real estate values will decline based on the astrological view, uh, astrological New Year date, February first, twenty twenty-two. So he's saying that as of February first, twenty twenty-two, there's probably going to be a significant dis- decline in real estate values. Saturn, Sun, and Moon are all in the fourth house, which is the house of real estate and the stock market. Those three planets cause a lot of problems, so I expect a fall in the stock market and real estate values in the U.S. as a general trend throughout 2022. 2023 looks like a lot of people will be struggling on a financial level to maintain their real estate, and that also death in the real estate marketplace will open a doorway of vacancy in the real estate market, so for those that have the cash it will be a great time to pick up some good deals. So that's Ernst Wilhelm's 2022 reading with a look into 2023 briefly. For those of you that are interested in readings from Ernst, his website where he offers readings is vaultoftheheavens, all stuck together.com, vaultoftheheavens.com. He is other websites as well, which I will put in the show notes for you. Next, we have James Tunney's 2022 prediction. I reached out to James because he is a true mystic, an international lawyer, artist, expert, and author of three books on the very issues of today. One is The Empire of Scientism, The Dispiriting Conspiracy and Inevitable Tyranny of Scientocracy, The next is Tech Bondage, altogether T-E-C-H, capital B-O-N-D, capital A-G-E, Tech Bondage, Slavery of the Human Spirit, and his third book, Human Entrance into Transhumanism, Machine Merger, and the End of Humanity. All excellent books. James has been on my podcast twice. He's a personal friend. He's someone I rely on for a lot of things, Um, somebody whose opinion I really value. So if you want to get a sample of James's wisdom, just look for any of the two podcasts that I've done with him. Um, the last one was on the issues of transhumanism and scientism, and many people told me that it was mind-blowing how deep he is and how much they learned. So I asked him for his predictions regarding what we're likely to face in 2022. Remember, this guy's an international lawyer. He's worked in the UN. He has taught law So he's not just some guy that sits in caves and meditates and plays with paintbrushes. He's written a number of other excellent books, too, in the spiritual development arena. So here's what James offers. It's a matter of timing on a trajectory. What I will share here could happen this year or next, but the trends will be evident. The trends that will continue may include a rise in disorder and protest groups that are fake, exacerbated by economic and financial collapse following either massive inflation, bank collapse, or housing market collapse, or a combination to justify global control by digital currency. So what he's saying is there's likely to be what looks like huge protests and, you know, all sorts of rising up 
but it could be staged to justify the illusion that people are being violent and have to be controlled so they can do things like implement martial law and force us into a one-world digital currency, which is not a good idea at all. And um, there are a number of people out there that are experts on that, talking about the pros and cons and the ins and the outs of all of that. Now, he says this could be associated with a supply challenge, breakdowns and shortages. Disorder will create a call for order and justify military presence in more places with more surveillance combined with their involvement in vaccination. Well, we're seeing that going on. Like I said, look at Australia, look at Germany, look at Austria, um, look at New Zealand, look at Canada, and notice that more and more countries that seemed sane and civil and respectful are turning out to be um, basically electronic jails. He continues, the risk of government suspension is there. The mechanism could be by an emergency which justifies suspension. This was tried after 9-11 with the encouragement of Rumsfeld, who was running a pharma company at the time these plans for uh, continuity of government were made. Uh, No surprise there. I think Rumsfeld was the Secretary of Defense, but he also had his hands in the drug till. Uh, I've looked into him. Very interesting Uh, criminal, (laughs) in my opinion, that is. Increasing danger of a reaction as people realize what is happening may lead to cutting out social media and targeted blackouts of the internet, as well as electricity blackouts. It will be more difficult for opposition to organize when they do this, is what he's saying. The likely trends are to create a condition to justify the movement from covert global governance to overt global governance by technocracy. Sounds pretty much like what's shaping up to me. He says, additionally, on the forecast for 2022 and beyond, based on James's opinions here, more automation and robots and less people. That should become more obvious this year calls for a more circular economy, which means more money for the rich and less for everybody else, if you haven't figured that out. Um, More possibility of confining dissidents and the middle class or mass incarceration through expansion of criminal offenses, which is happening heavily in places like Australia. Uh, I've heard uh, places like um, Austria and others, some of them are saying that you're going to get fined something like $4,000 every few months if you haven't gotten your uh, vaccines and, and boosters. Um, I've heard of fines starting to be implemented in Australia. I have several students and friends there. He continues, more financial turbulence and ep- economic breakdown lead to calls for an international conference to solve issues that will lead to a digital currency. More UFOs and UAP, unidentified aerial phenomenon. The military are likely to say that they cannot cope with cope, and we need an international approach. So uh, that is not only James's warning, that is the warning of 
others that are very in the know on these things. So I highly recommend you all study the series titled Disclosure with Dr. Stephen Greer on Gaia TV to get educated as to just what the secret military industrial complex is up to. Also, as Dr. Greer clearly points out and documents, the White House has been totally in the dark on these secret programs for a long time and still is. He also warns conclusively that the military-industrial complex is now preparing us to be afraid of aliens, to make us think we're under attack, and to get more people to pour tax dollars into their charade, which is really just another ploy to keep money coming into the military-industrial complex in absence of enough war or another world war to fund the follies of the ruling elites within these organizations. And they have a lot more power than any government that you see in the media. Uh, I've looked into this extensively. The governments that you see are just puppets, largely for the military-industrial complex, and they, and that's very tied to the... The same people that own the military-industrial complex are the ones that are the great banking elites, royal families, and the people um, who are uh, trying to put us in an electronic jail worldwide, if you haven't figured that out yet. If you're foolish enough to think that there are no ET presences on this planet or that we are not being regularly visited, it's high time, in my opinion, to upskill yourself. And there's no person better on the planet to study in this regard than Dr. Stephen Greer. His research and his experiences and his extensive contact with extraterrestrial intelligence is highly documented and all of his excellent movies TV shows on Gaia, books, etc. Um, there's a lot of people that talk about ETs and stuff like that that are just kind of, you know, fluffy, modern attention getters. But Dr. Greer, my truth buzzer, goes off very loudly. James Tunney continues, possible low-level military engagement as distraction, for example, the Ukraine or Taiwan or calls from the UN for more intervention in Afghanistan, increased normalization of implants in the body, possible liberation of drug laws and amnesty to free up space in prisons and allow uh, people that love their servitude to Big Daddy to keep popping pharmaceutical sweeties. So what James means here is that they're likely to loosen drug laws to allow as many people as possible to stay unconscious easy to program and control, something everyone should be aware of and careful to stay conscious of and not fall into this trap, which will be very easy as a trap to fall into when, as the magnitude of polarity in the environment increases the tension globally. So the best pill there is is a sound four-doctor practice and legitimate spiritual development practices and um, if you can't find your center now, believe me, it's going to be much harder as things start getting more bumpy. And that's exactly why in the second edition of How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, I put a section right in the beginning of the book to show you how to develop your four doctor values and get clear on what your practices are so that you actually have a stabilizing routine that helps you deal with the physical, emotional, mental realities of life in a spiritual way. So James's conclusion to his forecast is, so allow disorder, create new order, suggest freedom from work, 
increase automation, relax some criminal justice for criminals, increase freedoms for law-abiding citizens, and you know what that means if you're paying attention at all, and finally to move towards a less national and more global structure. Now, here's my personal 2022 forecast in conclusion of our Love Lovers Boot Camp for 2022. We'll be tasked with the challenge of doing the honest shadow work I suggested in 2020, where we run the great risk of falling into sex and violence loving, which often means resorting to violence. With violence comes the risk of self-injury, injuring others we share relationships with, and destroying the infrastructure of our home, cities, and civilization. We must each take responsibility for our inner reality and how we impact others. Until we can be honest and loving with ourselves, it's childish to expect others, particularly those in positions of authority, to be loving and kind to us. Like attracts like. This is a universal principle. We must all wake up, clean up, grow up, and show up as adults on the world stage now. We must get clear on a common vision, mission, and values that represent a democracy and seek to protect natural resources that we all need to live without which our children have no future whatsoever. So we need to realize that winding us up, provoking us, threatening us, etc. is part of their plan and not to fall into drug use and resorting to false hierophants to guide us and irresponsible medical doctors that don't follow the Hippocratic Oath, take bribes, and can't take care of themselves anyhow. Don't go to sick people and irresponsible people for health advice or you're going to um, have to deal with the karma of being so brainwashed. And ignorance is not bliss. We will each be tasked with the objectives of 2021, the five-year of the Hierophant, and we must choose who we trust for guidance very carefully. Always remember, by their fruits ye shall know them. Look at the book, The Real Anthony Fauci, carefully. Look at Mickey Willis's new book. Listen to wise people. Never judge a man by the creed he or she professes, but by the life he leads. Look into Joe Biden. Look carefully. Look into Donald Trump very carefully. I know there's people that are in love on both sides of the fence, but what I see when I look is that we have a puppet show. We don't have a government. Neither of these men should be anywhere near the presidency, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. It's okay to have a different opinion. That's what makes life beautiful. Okay, watch Mickey Willis's Plandemic documentary series and study his book titled Plandemic, Fear is the Virus, Truth is the Cure. Watch Dr. Len Horowitz's YouTube lectures titled DNA Pirates of the Sacred Spiral or read his excellent book by the same title. In three and a half hours with Dr. Len Horowitz, you will get one seriously good education about what's going on. And remember, those lectures were filmed in 2004 and 2005. And when you see his predictions for what's coming, which he gave then, you will want to find this guy and call him Nostradamus. Study Robert F. Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, and the Global War on Democracy and Public Health 
very carefully. I highly recommend you subscribe to Robert F. Kennedy's newsletter titled The Defender. Easy to find. Study Dr. Joe Mercola's book, The Truth About COVID-19, Exposing the Great Reset Lockdowns, Vaccine Passports, and the New Normal. And I highly recommend you go to mercola.com, M-E-R-C-O-L-A.com, and sign up for his newsletter. It's loaded with excellent factual information, resourced. Follow Sayer G and Kelly Brogan. They're uh, web newsletter. Their their um, newsletter is very good, and their website's very good. It's greenmedinfo.com. Follow Czech professional and former Czech Institute instructor and comedian J.P. Sears. He's sharing some of the most honest truths to awaken people in digestible, humorous presentations regularly. His comedy videos are very informative and a great wake-up tool to share with the family, friends, and anyone that you feel is sleepwalking. I am super proud of JP. JP started training with me. He left college to study with me at age 19. He was my protege, worked with me clinically for five years, became an instructor, and all in all, I think he worked for the Institute for seven years before he decided he wanted to go off and try his hand as a comedian, and I'm super proud of him. And he used to always crack us all up constantly in class. (laughs) Uh, Study my videos on YouTube titled, Why Kings Kill Your Children. It's a two-hour potent education that everyone needs with lots of excellent resources to show you who's behind all this stuff. I also have a video that uh, you should be able to find called The Danger of Living in Two Realities. And that's all about the difference between living in a digital reality and the analog or real world. I have a video called The Danger of Losing Yourself. Self is spelt with a capital S for a reason. You'll see when you watch the video. And I keep sharing videos regularly as I can to support you. And there are literally something like 735 videos I've created for the public on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Paul C-H-E-K live. YouTube.com forward slash Paul Check live. And please keep listening to and sharing this podcast to help keep people informed. If you haven't listened to my podcast on vaccinations with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, one of the world's leading authorities on the topic, I highly recommend it. It's my most listened to of all my podcasts, and it's made headline news five times in England and Australia, and is a potent education, particularly for parents. As we heard from Ernst Wilhelm and James Twenty. Uh, James Tunney, 2022 is likely to be quite turbulent, which is completely aligned with the lover's archetype. Be aware of what stage of the love model that you're expressing yourself from and ask yourself, what would love do now when facing tough decisions or any kind of a crisis? That's a very hard thing to do. Believe me, I have have, uh, wished I had done better many times, and I still, even at 60, have to really center myself because when you're triggered and irritated you want to bite back but asking a question like what would love do now is exactly what someone like jesus would have encouraged us to do and obviously um, to the best we can understand how he lived whenever there's lots of stress environment in the environment or we're facing financial uh, personal family or professional hardships 
or transitions, fatigue, illnesses, and disease are much more likely as we get more and more stressed. Remember, a chain's only as strong as its weakest link. That's why I highly recommend applying the teachings in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. Um, also, you can look at my YouTube video titled Your COVID-19 Protection Plan, which for some amazing reason has never been taken down. And I put it up right in the beginning when all this started in 2019. Um, complete my Holistic Lifestyle Level 1 Coach Online. That's a very wise idea for your whole family. As I said earlier, it's our public health program and anyone 12 years of age or above could understand it. The program teaches you how to implement the tips for optimal health and uh, well-being and a healthy lifestyle offered in How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy and gives you a fair bit more. And it's co-taught by my wife, Angie Check. Ground yourself in a healthy ritual if you follow the directions for Four Doctor Living in the second edition of How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. You'll have a clear definition of a healthy ritual and also simple work-in practices that cultivate life force energy, which are also very simple, effective spiritual growth practices that you can use. The book's got them all in there for you. Many experts are predicting more lockdowns, power outages, internet blackouts, supply chain disruptions, and food shortages in 2022. So keep adequate amounts of healthy canned foods. Whenever you can find organic canned foods in glass, instead of metal cans, it's always a healthier option. Stock up on jerky meats and other healthy dried or dehydrated foods with a long shelf life, such as beans, legumes, rice, or dehydrated soup mixes. And you can often find uh, those types of foods, uh, the dehydrated soup mixes, in camping stores, which often have a good selection of those kinds of foods because that's what a lot of people take on camping trips because they're light, they last without refrigeration, and all you got to do is add hot water. Not that we hope to ever have to eat those things, but it's better than nothing. I recommend keeping at least five gallons of clean, high-quality drinking water on hand at all times, and the larger your family, the more you should uh, keep on stock. Personally, I keep 110 gallons on stock almost all the time. Uh, keep essentials like toilet paper, Kleenex, and related items in stock. I would recommend getting a ham radio, a satellite phone, or a means of communication that isn't bound to the internet or corporate control because they are likely to start uh, you know, isolating us and knocking out communications. It's a standard military strategy, by the way, for taking over an enemy. And censorship was your first sign of it. That's blocking communication. I highly recommend a solar-powered battery that can run essentials or a generator you can use uh, in case an emergency should you find yourself experiencing a power cut. The Great Reset uh, set documents and those studying them intensively have warned that they plan uh, to cut phone connections, internet connections, and power as a means of forcing control on people and encouraging violent reactions so they can justify overriding the governments and implementing martial law. Keep blankets, sleeping bags, and ample first aid supplies handy because if things get frenetic out there. It's not going to be business as usual. You might not just be able to walk to the doctor or drive to the doctor and get help, especially if you're not vaccinated. I could tell you a terrible story, but I don't have time to. But one of my friends just went through a 
nasty experience in a hospital because he wasn't vaccinated. It's just sad as hell. It's better to have and not need than to need and not have. If you study Naomi Klein's, Klein's book, The Shock Doctrine, or watch the documentary by the same name, or Len Horowitz's book I've referenced a couple of times now, you'll quickly learn that being ruthless and killing large amounts of people by triggering violence is just another day's work for the global elite. Sadly, we are pawns on their global chessboard as far as they see us and other things. I've seen documents where they refer to us as rats, vermin, and sheep. So this is what uh, people like Bill Gates and his father and uh, Fauci and crew say behind closed doors. And this has been found by very careful investigations uh, into things like leaked documents. Um, establish a network of friends in your area so you can share resources in an emergency. Always know where you can find drinking water and food in a crisis. For example, get to know your local farmers and eat real food. Stores could easily be shut down. If you know where water is and you know where farms are, at least if you can't get food from the store, you can go out into the countryside and get something there. Another thing is wise to keep cash or um, valuable metals like gold and silver on hand because in a collapse, those things always maintain their value. They always have throughout history. Um, gold is a tangible um, commodity, silver, um, so and, and hopefully cash will continue to be, um, but gold and silver are a good bet. Remember, the first thing um that you know that that uh, you you do when i was in military strategy strategy training they told us cut off the communications cut off the food supply the rest is easy both are already being done by the psychopathic global elite so don't be a fool and wait until you're in trouble to start preparing that would uh, be to remain dangerously unconscious so my final words for my 2022 lovers boot camp and prediction are this. We must hold hands collectively and remove any and all criminal activity from government, health agencies, banking, education, the energy sector, and all related systems, including the military industrial complex. Now that's a big task, but this is our initiation into adulthood. These organizations lord over us and treat us like infantile little children that they can just play around with puppets while sucking the life and money right out of our pockets. If you look into how much the so-called secret space program has stolen from the U.S. Um, citizens, there's something like $8 trillion went missing from the budget and it has been tracked by various researchers and investigators to all these secret programs that you're paying for, that are being used against you right now. This is our chance to use science to heal the world instead of destroying it in the name of money, meaning that we can use the, the science that we have to do good things. We don't have to constantly be destroying everything. And I could go in a long discussion of all the ways that could take place. It is very likely that there could be hard times ahead but that is the nature of an initiatory process. If we rely on each other and work together in the spirit of love and respect for each other, for nature, 
the planet and life itself, we can make something amazing and beautiful happen together in the next several years. And I personally am excited. We really, you know, as much as I don't like these global elite, they're forcing us to do what we've got to do before we destroy this planet and, and collapse the environment and the ecosystems. We're right on the edge. I've talked about it many times. I won't repeat it all. But I've been studying this stuff my whole life. It's a friggin' miracle that we haven't <laughs> terminated ourselves already. Just thank Mother Earth for her patience and her wicked complexity and her ability to sustain trauma and keep going. So we can do something amazing together, but it's going to require that we get our hands dirty and that we start loving each other and respecting each other and that we realize that we are children of the planet and we're living in a garden and we have to tend to the garden and we got to get rid of the criminals. And I, when I say get rid of them, I don't necessarily mean kill them. I mean, we have to take their power from them and uh, take it up upon us. They've always depended on us being infantile, drug, docile, and brainwashed and addicted to media. When I talk to um, Jamie Wheel, I, I had a two-step plan. Step one, unplug the television stations. Within three days, people will start waking up. If that doesn't work, step two, shut the power off. Yes, people will die, but there will also be many that realize that the only way we can function is to get back to working with each other and interfacing with nature, and we will have a new love affair with the soil and with food, and we'll have to clean it up and do it right at, at a ground level. And, and we may need, need the Amish and people like that to teach us how to do it. So thank God some of those people are still around. They're pretty damn smart. They saw this coming, I must say. Um, you know, many today have forgotten what it took our ancestors to create the freedom we have today, and now it's our turn to do our share. Let your heart be your compass, but don't be passive. It could cost you your life. <clears throat> so thank you for joining me in the 2022 Lovers Boot Camp. We have had quite a journey. I've done my best to share a lot of information that a lot of people aren't aware of, even skilled psychologists. So I'm with you all the way to freedom. Thank you for each of you listening and sharing the episodes of this podcast and all the other podcasts you enjoy. Uh, if you enjoy Living 4D with Paul Check, please, if you could be so kind as to leave me a nice comment on iTunes, I would really appreciate your support. Thank you to all my sponsors of the podcast for your amazing, organic, healthy sust uh, products made with sustainable practices. We love you. Thanks to all of you for anything you buy from the sponsors gives me a little commission to support the podcast. I put a lot of time and effort into this. Believe me, I do. So as I like to end the podcast, we are safe. We are home. We are whole. Aho, great spirit. It is done. It is done. It is done. See you soon with another amazing podcast. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check. 
If you enjoyed this episode, we recommend episodes 18, 20, 22, 24, and 26, featuring Paul's Evolve series, where he talks about how to evolve yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and how to evolve your career. Or check out episode 59 with Paul on ancient wisdom and reimagining your health and performance. In episode 151, Paul talks about the people who changed his life. And more recently, in episode 164, Paul discusses how to create real health. Paul also talked with James Tunney in episodes 142 and 163. You can follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chikiva.com. Remember, you can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Thank you.